0: Welcome to another episode of Fire's Fire. I'm joined by my co-host in person here Uh, with uh, RJ Ellis. And as always, Dr. Brian Paul. Brian, jump in here. Um, is actually joining me today, Calgary, as uh he came into town for the Elbow Mueller Glass Show, hosted by our friends at Hetty Gallery. And we had an incredible time. Um Killer Killer Show. Uh thanks for everyone that came out and said uh placed us out of some incredible, incredible swag. The, the 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 shirts from the the sash were dope laced us yo up. that's lit i didn't see those yeah man don't worry don't worry um but yeah thanks for everyone that came out and said what up it was so
1: dope to meet everyone uh had such a great time um really stoked for the event the glass was crazy the glass was crazy shout out to heady gallery um great time great event great vibe everything was banging
0: yeah so without further ado we're super stoked today we've we've for a moment, didn't think we were gonna be able to pull this episode off. And, and with a little bit of a background, you know, what for, we were able to, to get it going. So uh, we're very excited today to to be joined by Mendo Buttsmith. So please join me in, in welcoming him to the show. Buttsmith, thank you so much for taking the time, bro. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys.
2: Yo, I'm thanks good. for bearing with us and and, yeah. and and you know pushing through the technical difficulties. We're an hour late, but hey, man, we're all stoners. So we're right on time. Turn, it, right right around, turn it around.
0: So Budsmith, we I wanted to jump right yeah, in. yeah, we're able to pull pull it off my apologies. Hey, no worries, Nance. No worries. these things happen you're you're in you're in remote locations we're we're lucky to be able to get access to you and 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 so we thank yeah. you for your time but uh and and I know you're you're a really opinionated guy and you've got some really unique opinions in the industry. Uh, before we jump into those, uh like we do on all shows, we want to dive a little bit into your history. So tell us a little bit about where you are uh, who you are and, and where you're from
3: um well i'm born and raised here in mendo county uh grew up in the ukiah area so you know just did that local small town stuff um started growing around 94 ish when maybe i was a sophomore in high school uh 15 years old you know uh grew some plants in the backyard my mom ended up watering with some gasoline because you know it was illegal back then so she was hoping i'd give up but here we are today and uh just kind of did the whole progression from the black market stuff and saw the 215 and
0: you know, here we are now, so. So, I mean, for for our listeners that haven't or experienced Northern California or understand what it's like growing up in the triangle, you know, can you share a little bit about your experiences as a kid, what it was like, you know, the seasonality of the lifestyle up there, the um you know just just experiences that resonated with you as, um as, that were normal for you that that might not have been normal for for the average person growing up <laughs> well as as a younger kid teenager
3: you kind of you know if you're running in the weed scene you're going to meet some of the older cats and uh if you're you know cool enough and they want to bless you with some knowledge and you show that you can work and you're willing to break your back for no pay they'll give you a little bit of knowledge and that's kind of how you come up so i learned from some of the old school guys from 70s and 80s out on the tom kai area and even out old mill creek road up by the of uh, the talmage dams if anyone's local around here they know those spots um some of the stuff that's normal when you get a little bit older man it's it, the choppers and and the raids and you know guys hanging off of ropes and helicopters and chasing you through the woods and you're having to hide and stuff so some of that stuff's normal growing up around here that's just a, a price you pay to to do what you want to do out here in the woods so you know, some people may think that, you know, having guns and, and, you know, doing stuff out in the woods that may be, you know, outlaw to some is, is lifestyle for a lot of these cats around here. And that's just normal. You know what I mean? Absolutely.
0: And, and so like the campaign against marijuana planting or, or better known as camp, that was something that, you know, was, I, I think maybe seen in the news for a brief moment in time, but not really absorbed. As, as what it was like almost living in a war zone um during that time for for residents in the area it, you know were you among the the individuals that were uh creating platforms in 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 trees and, and growing in there to avoid helicopters like can you t- can you talk a little bit about that
3: yeah for sure in the late 90s early 2000s i mean camp was still running hard man if it was anytime in september early october you know, they were going to be flying three four days out of the week for sure so to avoid some of that stuff, you know, you could set up some decoy gardens out in the wide open, throw some big plants out there, take care of them because, you know, camp's coming for those right away and hide your stuff, kind of open some platforms and some trees, use some pulleys and ropes and get your soil up there. And, you know, I mean, we weren't growing huge plants back then. You're talking half pound plants, maybe, you know what I mean? So you're hiding stuff in, in gullies and burying stuff and under the trees. A lot of stuff was shade grown back then that you could pull off because it was it was hidden. And if you could pull anything man if you get 20 30 pounds at the prices back then like that was that do was doing by, it you know what do you what mean? mean
2: by shade growing i've never heard that term
3: no shade like in the shade under the trees um not in the full sun just you know at, back in the cuts where it's really Actually, shady so the the, bu- the plants aren't getting big
0: and so you know that must have during those days that must have pushed you to go indoors and and you know I think chatting with you a little bit earlier yesterday, realizing that you know you were really on the, uh, I would say a pioneer cusp of, of indoor cultivation or, or in that area. Like, can you talk a little bit about what early indoors looked for you looked like for you and, and how that 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 all started?
3: yeah for sure i don't know if i'd necessarily call it a pioneer of the indoor i was just i was there during the startup of it there was lots of guys doing it all at the same time For
0: but, sure, for sure, for um, sure. But i mean that was early days but
3: yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah it was early days there was uh you know you pull off a couple good summers outside then you figure out that you can build yourself a little building and throw some lights up indoor and that the way the helicopters aren't going to come get you so man i was in there from the beginning of uh i don't know if you guys have ever heard of a, a coliseum before but it's a, it's a old grow style where there's vertical light bulbs, two or three of them that stand up in the middle and there's this big shell that goes around it. And it's literally, looks like a Coliseum. It's about six, eight feet high. And you plant plants all around the outside of that, man. One of the worst, uh, one of the worst things that you could grow weed in, man, it was humid and the lights, the lights were really close to the plants. It was just, it was just a mess. You know what I mean? So, um, I was there for the sun system, the, the whole, you know, four lights swinging around on a chain. It was, uh, it was pretty wild back then. Some of the stuff that they used to get a full spectrum of lights to grow plants.
2: Wait, what do you mean lights on a, on a chain? I've never heard of that.
3: So it was, it was called a, um, a, I don't know. I don't know who put it out, but there was a, it was like a big framework and there was, four lights on it and it rotated around and it was on a big chain uh pulley and it'd run back and forth in your room so you had these big lights spinning around and they'd run on a track it, it was pretty wild man it's that's called the sun the, circle that's what it's
2: and, and we're and we're talking like sodium halide or me- metal halide and like yo
3: we're called we're talking a high, a high pressure sodium a metal halide um that's like you know, swinging around different color bulbs tape. oh exactly yeah and the yeah. thing was like eight feet round
0: and it spun around it, it was pretty wild man so cool so you really saw the progression of you know indoor cultivation through through multiple decades that 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 offers you a pretty, definitely pretty yeah. cool perspective on, was, on where things have been and where things are going
2: were you guys using w- tape on a lot of it the, or, or like what was the what was the um, oil,
3: what? um sometimes we're using rock wool, cocoa but a lot of it i was just a soil grower because we just transferred what we knew from Outside to inside, so I grew soil outside. So might as well throw some inside and see what happens. You know what I mean.
0: So were you were and, you uh, an inert soil grower, like a pro mix grower at first, or, or were you actually bringing in you know living soil inside and 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 cult and just watering uh, and and just adding water?
3: No, the, most of the the soil we we're using was co- completely inert, and we were just kind of bottle growers because. Everything we learned was kind of coming from the Netherlands and the Amsterdam area, you know, what you could pick up from the magazines and whatnot. And they were growing these huge grows and it was all just a three-part nutrient system that you, you know, plug and play, man.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely.
3: So when we, when we first started, it didn't seem as uh, the indoor was going to be organic and it was kind of a weird crossover because a lot of us grew organic outdoor, but the whole trend of indoor, it, it didn't really catch on. It was, it was more of a synthetic nutrients.
0: You know, you had an interesting comment in our uh, you made in our conversation yesterday, where in the early days of indoor, you know, outdoor was still a, a, a higher value. When what do you do you remember the year when indoor packs started to to uh, overtake those outdoor packs in the market during that time? Oh man, an exact year I couldn't pinpoint it, but well, there was a you know well, I I a I can a memory yeah yeah.
3: Yeah, I'd say the early 2000s when it really started to change and people started to realize that the the quality of indoor people were really progressing their craft and they were putting out some really good
0: flour. Very interesting. So usually we talk about this a bit later in the show, but I think it's really poignant to, to, to cultivation and this topic is you just recently completed a a, a show or not a show, but a, a course with with bird extracts, um, a good friend of, of, of ours of the show. Um, and you touch on the cultivation aspects and, and many different cultivation aspects, and I'd love to learn, you know, a little bit more of a how the show went mm-hmm. and 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 what you uh, what aspects you touch on during during your, that course.
3: Okay, yeah. Well, first of all, shout out to Bird, man, what he's doing, passing on the information that he's learned from Frenchie and some of the people that he. he I mean, he freely shares information; he's not holding anything back. So, big up to Bird for sure. I've been really reluctant to share any information up until recently, just because this, this, I get a lot of hate in the DMS and a lot of people talk shit about, you know, what I do because I, I, I don't really compromise, you know, how I'm doing it. I'm just going to roll how I do it, whether you like it or not. That's, that's up to you, dude. But as far as the classes go, I, I'm trying to preach my whole plant cured technique. So I'm, I'm trying to teach people that you can actually dry the flower and, and still pull off a really good product in the end, and Telling people that what you put into your plants and how you grow them and what you do during that process from, from seed to harvest really impacts how your rosin and your hash is going to turn out in the end. So I'm, I'm kind of trying to emphasize in that, and if you're, even if you're a hash maker and you're not growing, if you can kind of get some of that and, and apply it to the grower that you are working with,
0: you can elevate his hash game a little bit to help you out in the end. 100%, hundred percent man like i am I'm, I'm super super interested in, in checking that course out i'm I'm definitely gonna catch one um you you know some of the topics that I know you cover is you know growing for resin versus growing for flower. um you know without giving you know t- giving away whatever you feel comfortable giving away can you give our listeners a, a a bit of a comparison or a case study of how you would handle a plant differently for uh resin versus for smokeable flower
3: yeah definitely um i mean just the basics coming from a flower background i mean you're not really worried about trichome coverage or size of the heads or any of that sort of stuff so you're just growing for weight like plant mass you're trying to get as many pounds as you can out of your greenhouse or out of your indoor um when it comes to growing resin you don't necessarily want the biggest densest you know most plant mass possible you want trichome coverage and you don't really need to worry about packing your plants with, you know, all a, a bunch of phosphorus and potassium, get them all fat in the end. It's almost, you know, you're almost trying to grow larfier buds than you would normally for flower.
0: So, are there any um, are there any indicators that we find earlier? I usually ask this question later, but just because we're talking about resin and and the differences between um growing for flower and and growing for hash are there any differences that that you've been able to identify late in vet or early in flower other than trichome structure that would denote to you a, a high quality washer or a high quality a strain that mechanically separates well
3: um I mean to me I'm looking for you know stock length uh a lot of strains that have a real short fat stock they don't seem to wash well because the heads are a little smaller and they don't, they, seem, they don't break off. Um, so I'm looking for a longer stock. You're looking for sandy resin um, and, and good size heads,
0: man. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so there's been like a lot of popular new um, products that hit the market, both both in the, the chemical and organic space that have promoted increases in, in re- not only resin amount, but but actual gland size. Um, is, is what are your experience with these products?
3: I, I don't use a whole lot of, uh, products or snake oils or any of that sort of stuff. I'm, I'm strictly, uh, dry amendments in the soil. Yeah. Uh, and I just water, I don't use too many teas, maybe once or twice throughout the run, I'll give it a tea, but, uh, I've got a mix down to where I can mix my soil really well in the beginning with what I want and just give it straight water. And this is for growing for concentrates. Yeah, and uh, there's a lot you can do to manipulate the the size of the heads just through your your watering schedule and what you're feeding it at the end as far as sugars and 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 what it has. So if I was growing for flower, I'd be doing a lot of top dressing throughout the run and and adding different things that I think the plant needs to to get big and bulky. But when it comes to growing the when it comes to growing the resin, I feed the soil in the beginning and pretty much just it's water throughout. So I'm not a big fan of any of the the pgrs or any yeah i just don't use it so i couldn't really tell you how much how much uh, they work absolutely. or any info on that
0: Absolutely. can you can you talk a little bit more in, in detail about your cultivation methodology that you've developed over the years and, and and what your roots look like and how you like them to run
3: uh yeah sure so like i said before when i started indoor it was it was all bottle nutrients and and just trying to put out a product for making money, maybe not so much as a, you know, craft smoking product, because we were kind of still transitioning from the outdoor, and that was considered more of the, the head smoke. But as I kind of progressed indoor and saw how you could get results with organics that were very similar to, to bottled nutrients, I kind of just went more with the, the natural style of growing and, and trying to feed the soil as opposed to feed the plant. Um, so I'm just trying to grow the, the cleanest product possible. Some people consider it medicine. Some people just like to smoke to get high, whatever you want, man. But uh, I'm just trying to, to be as clean and, and grow as good as possible. As far as setup, I mean, what specifics do you want to know Like as far as setup?
0: Like how deep are your beds? We'll start there.
3: Okay. So I do soil beds. I'm not like I said, I'm not living soil. I'll, I'll rotate my soil in and out of my beds just for, that's kind of part of my IPM. If you're going to get, you know, you're going to get bugs. If you're growing organic, it just happens. Not necessarily mites or bad bugs, but you're going to see a little bit of stuff because you're not using pesticides or sprays. So I, I, I cycle my soil in and out and I've
0: got about 12 inches of soil in my beds, roughly. I like that. I mean, you know, going out when I first went to Humboldt and, and, and you know, I was lucky enough, Joji walked me through his farm and, and, and I saw how shallow those beds were. It shocked me. And he's like, yeah, man, like 10 to 12 inches is, is, is it. And, and that's been my experience so far. And, you know, I, I grow indoors in beds and my experience has been, you know, I've got more issues the deeper I, uh, the soil I go and, you know, learning more different perspectives where if you have deep beds doing soil horizons and, and things like that is is stuff that, you know, makes sense to me. So I find that super interesting. Are you um you know you're you're completely single source um it is are you constantly looking through new cultivars uh and 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 popping new seeds or are you bringing in clones to look at or do you have your stable of genetics that you like to run and you know it it's only every so often that you start looking for new things
3: um i do a little bit of all of that i'm not a a huge breeder i mean i've done some of my own my own genetics and my own seeds, but generally um, I'm sourcing seeds from other people, friends in the industry, uh, trying to always searching for clones, whatever that new hot flavor is to try it out. I keep uh, a pretty extensive uh, genetics room with mothers that you know cycle them in and out because I can't run all the flavors at once. I usually try to run five or six flavors and, and then cycle it out. But to really get to know a strain, I feel you have to work with it at least for a year, you know, three indoor runs or a season outdoor in the, you know, in the greenhouses to really figure it out. So I don't, I don't do too many one and done strains, even if I do something one time and it, it's not good, I'm still going to give it a couple tries just to, to see what
0: happens. So yeah, We touch on that in more detail. I think a lot of people, you know, romanticized, you know, hunting. And-
2: Hold on. I wanted to ask as well, what's your process for bringing in an outside cut? Cause I don't think we ever talk about that and that's where okay
0: so say
3: say a friend gives me a a teen from their garden and i'm not quite sure of how clean it is is that what you're asking
0: great question yes
3: (laughs) so i have a quarantine area um i don't use a ton of harsh chemicals or anything i do use uh uh, a neem oil in veg so i'll I'll set it aside and i'll spray it dip it whatever i need to do kind of keep an eye on it to make sure it doesn't have a bunch of bugs i'll big leaf the shit out of it pull all of those old leaves off and just kind of let it do its thing and integrate it into into the the um, system. It's not what, n- what no rocket science to it, though? really. Uh, like usually what? just a few days. Okay. Usually a few days. Yeah, because the way the neem oil works, you spray it once and then it's good for two or three days. And then because it doesn't kill the eggs of anything that's on there, the eggs are going to hatch. Spray again. You pretty much got everything. And then you know I just stay on top of stuff.
0: That that's awesome. So okay, I wanna ask you about pheno hunting. Um yes. So so a lot of people, um a lot of people I think have a romanticized view of pheno hunting where they think that, you know, I'm gonna pop a pack or two of seeds, and then I'm gonna find something and then I'm gonna be ready for it to be run commercially. Can you take us through what uh what the process would look like for you to 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 and the and the timeline that it would look like for you to make a selection to the point where, where you're comfortable to have that, that new varietal occupying a significant space in your garden.
3: I mean, yeah, it's, it's not a short amount of time. I mean, if you're going to, if you're, if you're going from seed, for instance, I mean, you're going to, you're going to pop that seed, wait a few days for it to germinate, plant it. It could be, I mean, a month to two months before you get it sexed and big enough to where you can actually cut a clone off of it. And then you're going to wait a couple weeks for that clone and then you're going to veg that clone up. So I mean, you could be talking you know, you got half a year, you know, 6 months, 7 months into just figuring out testing. And then if it turns to shit and it's not a good yielder, then back to the drawing board and if you're trying to run it in your system, then you got to get those plants big enough, cut more clones. So I mean, you could have over a year into just testing yeah. and not really you know, easy come easy. up with with any good results, and and yeah. it could easily be a one percent washer or a low flower yielder, and back to the drawing board. So, yeah. you know, it's, it's definitely not romantic. It's a lot of hard work. There's a, a ton of behind the scenes stuff that that we're doing as growers
0: to to bring this resin to you guys for sure. Yeah. Ideally, you know, in your perfect world, how are you conducting? a know, no no regulation, no risks of persecution fusion involved. You know, are you starting large? large populations outdoors and then bringing them into uh indoors or or are you start or would you say absolutely not i don't see value there i want to start this large population indoors and and and," because that's where i'm looking to 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 cultivate it from
3: Um, i do have a a greenhouse that
0: i use for pheno hunting just because
3: i don't have the square footage i need to run everything you know if i'm trying to hunt through 50 different strains it's really hard to take up space in an indoor when I could be using sure. that to actually be growing resin. So, in the you know in the summer, spring and summer that's when I'm going to be doing a lot of pheno hunting, popping a lot of seeds, you know, going through hundreds of different strains, cycling through in the greenhouse and then picking stuff and bringing it inside the stuff that makes the cut.
0: And what has been your experience when you're bringing things either from full term or greenhouse indoors? Do you do you find that those traits typically transfer consistently throughout varietals or do you find there's a, a large variation uh when bringing stuff from different environments
3: uh, As full as it well for, full term there i do get a lot of variances because if you're running stuff strictly out in the sun and you bring it inside you're going to open it up to possible herms or weird things that it doesn't like the stress or the heat or the environment of it indoor so testing it in a greenhouse where you kind of have a higher humidity and a higher heat almost simulates an indoor. So I don't see much transition or stress coming from a, a greenhouse environment to an in, to the indoor environment.
0: And so from from the greenhouse to the indoor, and 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 I'm not as as much talking about stress. I'm more so talking about um, uh, the phenotypic expression. Of the of that varietal. do you do you, when you when you find a desirable trade um if it's a new house do you find that that desirable trade is 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 typically uh replicated in in some sim some close similar form or fashion or do you find that every so often you have something that will will work really well and that uh that won't that won't come inside well at all
3: uh generally that works really good in the depth if i bring it inside it's always a positive it'll intensify or or make things better as opposed to to detract from it so i I don't really see any negative to transferring over at least in my system
0: awesome awesome and so you talked about you run a a a, a, an an organic but not full living soil um program can you talk about what uh what experiences over the years led you to this type of system? Yeah.
3: Uh, So living soil, I feel is best suited for full term, something that can go the full season and you get the full benefit of all the microorganisms that are breaking down in your soil from the start to finish all the way to harvest. Uh, Living soil indoor, from my experience, I just feel that the the two to three months that you're running veg time and flower, there's not enough time for everything to to happen in the soil to to feed the plants that they need because you're on such a short schedule. And I also feel there's too much available nitrogen with all of the, you know, cover crop and everything that you're feeding it, breaking down. So I kind of took the, what I felt was the best parts of that, you know, the the small microorganisms and the dry amendments and keeping everything, you know, really organic and just kind of feeding the soil with really good dry amendments. And then after a run or two, cycling out that soil for different soil that I've had on standby. Not new soil, but soil that I've used in the past that's been treated and, and hanging out, you know, hanging outside for a few months and ready to go back inside.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. I think that's like- That is
2: exactly my process. And I thought I was like, I, for me, it was like too much of a mission to try and bring huge beds inside. And, um, and I just, uh, yeah, I kind of felt the same way. I felt like it was maybe just a little bit too much. I feel like this is an organic way to grow and it's a little bit m- less of a long-term commitment
3: yeah exactly i'm not trying to keep all my little mushrooms and and just everything alive in the topsoil when i'm in between runs and running lights just to keep my my soil alive when i don't have plants in there it was just you know it created a lot more work doing the living soil indoor living soil outdoor in a big you know 600 gallon smart pot and you're just you're or even in, in native soil it just seems to be much easier you can Chop and drop your cover crop and just let it, you know, decompose into the soil and and not have an issue. You don't have a time frame that you're under.
2: I was almost ashamed to say that, like, because I was like, yo, I feel like it's too much work for me to do all that indoors. But I, I feel the yeah, I mean, it's, it's like,
3: yeah. yeah. So yeah, I'm not I'm not talking down on living soil indoor growers or any of that sort of stuff. And truly, like,
2: no, I just mean way too much extra at, work that I feel like yeah. I couldn't do.
3: Yeah, no, it's, it's a lot of work, man. And in that short time frame, you're always, you know, <laughs> cycling in and out stuff. And it's just, it's hard to keep up on it. So, and, and for me indoor, I don't know if you could call it truly organic because those lights, those aren't organic man. And that, that environment that's manipulated by us. Like I can do organic inputs and I can grow clean weed, but I don't think that indoor can really be classified as truly organic yet or at all, just because of the lights, honestly.
0: Think that's you know that's a valid point man like i think that that's a that's a fair way to look at it so i know you know in our conversations yesterday you mentioned you've got you've got goats and chickens on your property and, and you are a fan of regenerative or, or or living living soil um outdoors are you part of the regenerative community are you trying to to you know close those loops and and use that utilize the the manure and the created on your farm and, and keep things as close as possible or are you outsourcing your, your, uh, your top dress, your dry amendments, or how do you, how do you, how do you uh, work? Yeah.
3: I'm outsourcing my dry amendments for, for the indoor. Uh, yeah. A lot of the, regen- a lot of the regenerative stuff I'm doing on the farm, I'm applying to my vegetables and doing some testing with that before I transfer it to the cash crop indoor. You know what I mean? I don't want to just throw my untested soil mix with horse shit and goat in there and, and then figure out that it's too hot or it's not what I need. So. Doing some r and d in the vegetable garden first
0: that that makes that, that makes a lot of sense as far so you mentioned that uh you know you work with some seed breeders uh in the area. are there any specific guys that you work closely with that you know you want to shout out that you really respect their work?
3: um I mean some of the seeds I get from from just local dudes you know flavors that they wanna keep unnamed and under wraps, and they're not really looking for the spotlight man so I mean, I buy packs from all kinds of people, all you know, so I'm not really uh, not really favorable to one breeder oh, at the moment yeah, I'm running uh, yeah i'm I'm running some uh, purely melty seeds right now, so I uh, doing a hunt of of some of their stuff, so i'm I'm pretty
0: stoked so far. so let me ask you this as somebody who's you know been cultivating for a lot longer than most and and probably popped out quite a few seeds. What are your thoughts on the on the current seed market and and these seed breeders or seed producers releasing untested work like do you feel as though you have a problem with that or do you feel as though as long as it's 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 being told that like hey this is untested work that that, that, that that's fine to to get out to the market i mean
3: untested work is is untested work man it is what it is so i i don't know i guess i do have a problem with it it's I think you should be testing your work before you put it out there. If you're going to put your name on something, you better make sure that it's worth the shit. And some of these packs are going for big money, dude. And if you paid, you know, three, four, 500 bucks for a pack of beans, 10 beans, 12 beans, something like that. And you get a bunch of, you know, bag seed fucking polyhybrid crosses, dude. And I'd be pissed, man. Herm out your whole room and a bunch of weird shit. Like, I don't know. I think you should be putting in the work, testing it. And if you want to, The breeders that have a good name in this industry are testing their stuff and putting out product and letting you see the resin or the plant before they release seeds.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
3: For me, if I'm, if I'm going to buy, if I'm going to buy a pack of seeds, I want to see a a picture of that bud or a picture of that hash. And if you're just putting out something that's, you know, whatever the fat is right now, whatever fucking runts cross that you're putting out or whatever gelato bag seed, then, then yeah, I'm not on board with that.
0: That's fair. I mean, I'm 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 right there with you, bro. Um, I wanted to I wanted to ask you about your um experiences with actually uh selecting and and growing for hash and resin. What what year did that become something that was on your radar? That like, hey, you know, this is this is the direction I'm taking, and this is where I'm going. You know, was that recent or was that happening for a long time? Well, I mean, hash has always been part of just the whole
3: growing process because if you're you know if you're keeping a bunch of weed in a bin and you start trimming it there's going to be some good stuff in the bottom of that bin so growing up it was kind of keef or trim bin keef or pressed keef and then you figure out oh shit you can put this on a silk screen and you know filter out all the crap and you got a more full spec stuff you can put in joints or actually press together that's a little bit melty and as things progress um you know you start making hash i uh started making hash probably in the early 2000s. The first set of bags I ever bought was a five gallon bag set from BC bubble, man. Uh, never met the guy don't even know him, but those, those bags are legit, man. I've been using them ever since. And then just the progression all the way to rosin and, you know, started Hoto doing Park that in it. 2014 or so. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Lifetime warranty. So you ever got a problem with those bags, you send them to fresh Eddies, they'll send you a new set. Hey, I still have that
3: original set of five gallon bags and there's not a hole in them. And I, I mean, they're, I've hit them with a the loop. They're still true to Micron and I've put some serious hash through those. I use a 32 gallon kit now, but I still have those original bags. That, uh, uh, but yeah, just as, just as far as the progression though, I mean, I've seen it go from keef to hash to, to rosin and you know, I was there in the, the hair straightener days
0: for sure. So like, I, I definitely want to get it like pre hair straightener days. Cause, cause I think that's so that's interesting, interesting. And, and and want to touch on that more, but you know, were you wrapping your head around the science of, of resin in those early days when you were working with Nick Trimban, Keith, and understanding, you know, oh, if we, you know, screen it, we, we can get it cleaner and, and it's going to taste better. Or, or I guess my question is when did the science of, of hatch making really click for you? Was that early on or did that take some time?
3: No. No, it definitely took some time because it was, you know, trim bin key for even like, you know, running your shake for hash. That was more of just like a salvage mission. Like you could get something out of it to smoke or make some money out of trash that normally would be thrown away. Um, up until recently, it probably wasn't like a, a craft thing for me where I really took it seriously and started looking at resin as a standalone product away from flower because my background is is definitely a grower. Um, you know, through and through. I still smoke. You know, probably eighty percent of the cannabis I consume is joints. Um, I'm gonna dab sometimes, but I'm I'm a flower smoker. So I come from that background. And up until maybe I don't know, 2017, 18, I never really took it seriously as a standalone product. Interesting. Now, That's was good. there
2: was there anybody that influenced you or that kind of helped you along the way as far as hash making and and maybe inspired you?
3: Um, I mean, I. I kind of grew up in the woods and kind of out in the cuts away from everybody so everything i learned was either through osmosis from a friend who had seen something or you know um one of the really the first times i ever really saw rosin was at the the area 101 there um by laytonville and third gen was down there pressing stuff on a hair straightener talking shit.
0: it doesn't (laughs) surprise me that's awesome man yeah
3: so, we're, yeah, so that was that was really my first introduction being up here in Mendo. I mean, we're kind of, you know, we're talking before Instagram and all that sort of stuff to where it was just word of mouth. And it's like, hey, I saw this dude doing that. Like, maybe we should try it. So,
0: um, you know, I, that's that's where that came from. Absolutely. Before I move on to this, to because I really want to dive into that. I, I wanted to talk about breeding, you know, one last question and get, get your thoughts on it. As somebody who's seen a lot of plants and worked with a lot of resin, you know, we, we're seeing a tremendous amount of breeders start breeding specifically for mechanical separation these days. Um, do you believe that the the plant has maxed out its ability to produce resin at these 8 9 10% yields that we're hearing for these GMOs and, and, and GMO crashes? Or, or do you believe that with, with proper selective breeding, um, we're, we're going to be able to put a lot more resin on, on the body of that plant?
3: I mean if you think about it eight nine percent that is i mean that's a good percentage of the overall weight of the plant
0: i don't know how much more resin you can pack on there you know i I, i'm i'm of the mind that i think we're kind of there um you know i i I think that we're there with thc and and cannabinoid percentages i think they're you know slightly inflated at you know even even at that but um slightly yeah slightly inflated I, i know that uh I know that there, you know, I like to ask that question to everybody who comes on because, you know, I know there are individuals who, who, you know, believe otherwise and say, "Oh no, you know, with with the proper breeding and selection, you know, we can continue to push the the physical capabilities of this plant." And I'm you know, I, I just love to get everybody's take on it because, you know, it's interesting to see where you land. But um, yeah, but I mean, I I'm definitely gonna... not,
3: I'm not the master breeder as far as doing that sort of stuff. So I mean, there oh, could be guys yeah. out there with with info I haven't heard. So no, you not. I could not, be pushing not, the envelope.
0: I don't ask you as a master greeter, I ask you as somebody who has seen and been around a tremendous amount of plants, and and somebody who's you know spent some time probably thinking about those plants and and, and going you know do you think is there really room for for this plant to further express itself in this one way that we're, we're looking for it? And, and so I think you know what you said was 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 bang on, and, and I think that's a fair comment.
2: James, and I wanted to ask, though, so to that end, though, and this is something that Adam from Mission Hill Melts had mentioned, what's the repeatability of those high yield plants? Uh, Like in in your experience, Bud Smith, like if you've had a high yielder and you run it again, do you end up getting that same high yield or is it kind of like a fluke?
3: you mean a fluke from, from one run to the next, say one harvest to the next, or is it consistent yeah. throughout on years on end? Um, yeah. you can usually keep it within one, 1%. So if you're washing six, 7%, um, there's, there's some factors that go into it, at least for me, time of the year and, um, environmental factors, how cold it is outside, how hot the room is, all that sort of stuff. But, um, but yeah, if you have a good washing strain, you can keep it pretty consistent within 1%. Um, Pretty good. So
2: what yeah. What about if like somebody somebody gives you one and they're like, "Yo, this is like an eight percent." How consistently are you hitting those numbers <laughs> as well? Because I think that's um, the interest. That's kind of the, the point that I was getting to, right? Like, hey, it's like, is I'm it in somebody else' that it, you, or Is it in yours?
3: Yeah, no. I'll I'll tell you right now that people give me shit that says that that washes X amount all the time, and it never it holds up to the numbers that that they say. So my process is a little different, though. So going to that yield thing, you might have got say, you know, eight percent, but you got 80 percent back yields when you press that hash into rosin. So say I got five and a half percent, but I generally get 95 percent yields back from my hash to rosin. So who really washed it better or who got the better percentage in the end? So, so it's you know did i did i wash that six percent better and it's more melty because i got 95 percent yields or did you wash it better because you got eight percent and 80 percent yields so it's all relative when it comes to numbers like that you know what i mean it's the yield for rosin the better metric in that sense would you say for me i think it is because if you beat the shit out of your product and you end up busting off a bunch of stocks and beating your plant material up into the same size of your heads and it all looks like hash and you say you got a really good yield but when you press it the bags don't you know the bags don't lie if you're going to press it and it gets 75 80 percent return then that's the quality of your hash in my opinion and if i'm pressing it and i get a 95 percent return that's the quality of your hash it's not about stars or what yield you get from fresh frozen to hash it's hash to rosin that counts for me anyway that's how I see it
2: I like I like what you said there that that's how clean is how good your hash was
3: the- yeah I mean that really tell that tells the tale the bags tell the tale on the press that doesn't lie the press isn't gonna lie how clean did you wash it and how good was your technique how much rosin are you getting back out of that hash absolutely
0: absolutely so Bart Smith- were you involved in the the i know you mentioned that you were primarily a flower smoker but were you involved in the the butane scene the bho scene at all or, or was your first experience with concentrates uh through third gen at, at area 101 and and with rosin
3: um it's always been rosin man bho has never never attracted me man as far as i'm concerned they should just pull that shit from the market how would you want to how would you want to blow chemicals? Here, come at me, BHO boys. How are you gonna to want to blow chemicals through a product that you're gonna smoke? That makes no sense. Tell me about purge and points per million, points per billion. Get the fuck out of here, dude. That like I mean, solvent lists or nothing, dude. Yep, that's me.
1: I love it. I mean, I mean, it's just the way that all edible food oils are extracted, but we can just leave it at
3: that. Everybody's a they did come get some.
2: <laughs>
0: that's awesome
2: so come at me, bro come at me so
0: let's talk about the first dab like you're you're at area 101 you see you know brandon with the his hair straightener are you would you just kind of like look from afar and then go okay that's possible and, and go home and and start working on that or did you dab it and were you hooked like how? how- no.
3: No, I was kind of from afar because up until that point, rosin like squishing something to get a product out of it wasn't wasn't even on my radar. So I had to figure out, you know, what tools am I going to need, and you know what's going on here. But it definitely opened my mind to to what could be done. But but like I said before, I'm kind of out in the sticks, so I isolate myself. I don't have a whole lot of access to to knowledge. So it's just what I can hear third hand or, or talk to someone. You know,
0: hundred percent. I mean you know everybody everybody learns their own way. I think like you know you, you you've clearly been much more on that self taught side and, and observed something so take us through uh that that process that happened after you saw the the uh, you know Brandon squishing that rosin was it, was it an immediate okay, I've got to start you know researching and, and, and trial and error and and being you know working by yourself what did that look like?
3: I mean, first it was flower rosin. So he's go home and find some nugs and squish them and go from there. So yeah, it progressed from that to, I bought a t-shirt press, big square, you know, 12 inch plates or whatever it is you'd use to press logos on a t-shirt. And that was, you know, marketed by a rosin tech or something like that. And I used that for years, maybe a year or two until I
0: actually got a, a real press and started figuring shit out. And so what happened then you know were, were, was it was it an immediate advance in in uh controllability like what, once you got that press and what was that press was it a low temp plates press or what was your first press you're looking at it right now oh
3: well, no. my, very first, my very first real press is a peer pressure press yep i spent the money All um in. i'm a, i'm a, a low 100 model number on that press so i'm one of their very first runs that they ever mm-hmm. put out um but yeah, I was, you know, during the, the medical 215 days here in California, uh, I was, you know, pressing flower rosin. They couldn't get enough of, of the flower rosin at at the clubs. So that's kind of funny to say, but for a couple of years, I did that. I didn't even know it was possible to get a good uh, hash rosin because freeze dryers weren't a thing yet. And I didn't really have that air dry tech that was saving the color. So all my hash and hash rosin was looking like shit. Yeah. And flower rosin, flower rosin was just too easy, man, squishing flowers and packaging them up uh, that was money in the bank
0: so you've got a very interesting um take on what we like to call the dead versus live debate um and i'd love to you know really take some time to unpack it and you know your your comment to me is is that you believe that the highest quality and, and correct me if i'm wrong but you believe the highest quality rock uh rosin has to be cured before the material is washed and then subsequently pressed can you talk a little bit about how you came to these conclusions and 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 what what your thoughts around this are
3: yeah i mean once again coming from the flower background uh anyone that knows anything about flower when you harvest it and dry it the the flower is not worth a shit until you cure it so two three six months in a jar and you're going to see the difference from that fresh To what it smokes like months later, it's just more complex smoother. Uh, I I mean, it just gets you way higher. It's just a better product overall. Um, the fresh frozen stuff versus that. Um, uh, it's, I think it's more of like a a flavor hit and an immediate taste thing than it is like a true connoisseurs sort of smoke. So my whole plant cured, when you say dead, you mean dried, right? dead, dead versus live. Yeah. 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 So, so I call it whole plant cured when I do the dry process, because I'm using that same material that I would use for a whole plant, fresh frozen. I'm just curing it under a process that I've come up with, after, you know, over years of trial and error. And it just makes sense to me that you're going to dry and cure the resin and then squish it. it is similar to you that you would do when you're trying to get the best possible smoke out of the flower. I think you're kind of shortchanging yourself a little bit by just chopping it immediately and putting it in the freezer.
0: Interesting. And so, have you, like, I mean, I'm sure I know the answer to this question, but have you experimented with short-term uh, dry and then uh, freeze and wash versus a longer-term dry freeze and wash, and a sh- and then additional to the shorter-term cure and a and a, sh- and a longer-term cure? Have you have you kind of looked at all that and said, you know? this is for the majority of varietals where where i like to be um
3: i mean as far as the short dry, i've, I've tried that a few times i'm not a huge fan of the you know two three dread two or three day dry and then then chop it. i think people are trying to do that to increase their yields a little bit on a strain that may not wash as well and that's not why i'm drying it and and washing it I'm i'm not trying to increase my yields because something's hard to wash i'm trying to do it because i think it's a a better smoke and, uh, a, a at least equal, if not better quality product than fresh frozen.
2: Do you think when you're, when you're using uh, cured material, it's more shelf stable after you, uh, like wash it, pressed it?
3: Uh, fresh press. Isn't very shelf stable at all. It, no matter if it's cured or fresh frozen, that's, I mean, you're just gonna kinda have to deal with that. And that's pretty much all I do is fresh press. We can get into that fresh press or death here too, in a minute, if
0: you'd like. <laughs> definitely, de- definitely the I, next, uh, the next, yeah.
2: Well, <laughs> before we get to that, should we, let, let's talk about, uh, just wash technique, uh, yeah. machine versus hand. And then if machine, you know, bottom versus top agitation.
3: Um, well, I mean, you can take the bottom versus top into the hand wash too. Cause I, I go back and forth with these other hash makers I talked to about hand washing and they do the, are you a bottoms up or a top down sort of guy? But I, um, started out using machines and don't have a problem with machines, but I hand wash now because I felt like it just elevated my, the cleanliness of my product a little bit because I could control the agitation, how long I did it, how hard it was agitated and stirred. So for some people, they don't like hand washing. There's a, it's a little bit more physical work to it, but, um, so yeah i'm a i'm a
0: hand washer and i'm a, a bottom up dude hand washing bottom up so you see that started out you started out with 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 machine washing you know what would what was your experience and thoughts and and have you had any experience with these larger more commercial models that are that are currently available on the market today
3: i have no experience with any of the commercial models i was using the the bubble now machines is the 20 gallon washers that, that most guys use, you know? Yeah. And, um, for me, when it comes to my product, um, when everyone's at a high level making really good rosin, like a lot of these guys are, I think it comes down to literally fractions of a percent of, of quality. So if I can pick up a fraction of a percent during my grow process and I can pick up a fraction of a percent when I harvest and, you know, so on all the way through, if I can drop that washing machine and and go to a hand wash and pick up another fraction of a percent, all of a sudden I'm 2% better than I was, you know, six months ago when I was doing that other stuff. So that's kind of how I see the progression of what I'm doing. Can't speak for everybody, but for me, like it's, it's about the small little meticulous details that set you apart and, and make your product
0: the best. Absolutely. But
2: grinding on, grind that extra bit.
0: So I wanted to, I wanted to ask you. Um, A little bit about that, Buck because I I mean, you mentioned something interesting to me yesterday is that you, you know, you were also a gunsmith. Um, And
3: I I am my, my, my background, um, this can go back to some learning from some of the older dudes. Um, It was always important to have a a regular job because if your crop in the summer gets chopped, man, and you left assed out, you know, ass out of pocket, put a bunch of money into stuff and nothing happens. Like, what are you going to fall back on? So I wanna say first and foremost, cannabis has always been my passion. It's given me pretty much everything that I have and given me a chance to do what I wanna do. Um, I've also, you know, I worked four or five years as an apprentice carpenter. I got my general contractor's license in 2008. So I'm a a, a general contractor. I do concrete, I build houses and I also do finished carpentry. Um, Like you said, I'm I'm a a licensed gunsmith. So I feel that some of that background and the detail oriented and kind of the blue collar aspect of just grinding it out and getting it done um really plays into how my rosin turns out because if you're going to be taking apart guns or building guns and putting them back together and you don't have attention to detail then i mean you're gonna have some problems so i apply that to not only hash and everything else i do but pretty much my whole life like if you're going to do it just
0: do it and don't half ass it absolutely is that a, is that a nature or nurture thing like was that was that with you from, as a child or was that something that was instilled upon you? Um, well, I was, uh, uh, to
3: get, a, I guess, a little personal, my father was never around, so I was raised by my grandfather and being raised by an older dude, I got instilled with that work ethic of someone who grew up in the 40s and the 50s. Yeah. So a lot, of, a lot of the way I see things are from a, a lot of a older school point of view because yeah. that was who my role models were, so I'm I'm just you know just a working dude out here trying to make good hash.
0: That's awesome. Man. That's awesome. So I want to mo- I want to touch on this next landmine. I want I want to I want to talk about text press or presser, Um <laughs> it's, it's interesting because you know a lot of the traditional market and, and and legacy consumers and makers here in Canada, you know, unless you're actually a maker. You, you didn't have access to fresh press and, and, and very, from the very early on, we were, you know, curing these jars out and, and sending them out and sending them to our friends. So it was something that as a, as somebody who grew up in Canada, um, it was surprising to me starting to get exposed to California culture and, and see all this fresh press in the market and, and see it grow over the last six years. It, it's been very interesting. So I, I'd love to get your take on this and, and really unpack this. Okay. Uh, so, I mean, where do you want me to start? <laughs> well, what, Just, what, what, like, what, are, what led you to be so, uh, dig your heels in so much and, 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 and come out and have that statement of, of fresh pressure death.
3: Okay. Well, I mean, early on, I guess, pressing stuff, uh, you kind of try all the different techniques. So. I didn't come to this conclusion by accident or just coming up with it to be an asshole. I've, I've tried, I can cold cure. I know how to put stuff in the oven and cook it just like everyone else. Um, I can taffy tech, I can whip the shit out of stuff, whatever you want to do. So my philosophy behind it was when I first started and something was a little darker, uh, you know, you taffy tech it, it's going to make the color look crazy. It's going to make it look good and appeal to the eye, but it's going to kill the shelf life and it's going to make it taste harsh on the back end. And so just the progression through how I was making stuff and, and the way it turned out in the end, I was, I was trying to push myself to come up with a better product. So I didn't have to do that. Um, you know, have to cold cure it or or have to whip it or any of that sort of stuff. So it could be a standalone, clean, fresh press product. Um, there's a lot of unscrupulous hash makers out there that are Putting dark stuff in the oven and cooking it to make it light and using 45 U, whipping it up, calling it 90 U, and just all kinds of bullshit. And I didn't want to be associated with any of that fuckery that's happening with any of these hash boys out here trying to, you know, get over on people. So just for me personally, I just started saying fresh press or death as a joke. And then people started kind of really hearing it and listening to it. And I just kind of made it my motto. It keeps me. Uh, I guess it keeps me true because I put it out there and if I say fresh press or death and now I'm putting out cold cure like I'm gonna hear nothing but shit talking from all of my friends man so it's it's kind of goes a little deeper than that but it's a quality issue for me
0: real deal resin um you know was recently on the show and and they associated fresh tech with white ash on on a joint as as a you know being able to see the fresh press denotes quality the same way being able to see white ash on on a joint to know its quality do, do you agree with that statement um
3: i mean to a certain extent because i feel
0: that white ash kind of
3: gets a little overhyped it is an indicator of of clean weed but um yeah if you can put out a good fresh press then it's an indicator of how how good the product was or how clean it was and awesome. you know if, if
1: the fresh press is it's yeah, from, but, it's from the cute the whole plant shirt product correct
3: no, fresh it, press is from everything. It's, sweet, it's a good statement.
1: Yeah. So like, is this like a fresh frozen, fresh press It also fresh or done?
3: Just the, no, just the consistency, fresh frozen, whole plant cured, doesn't matter how I make it, it's going to come out and it's going to be fresh press and I, I feel like I consistently over the last couple of years have been able to, to grow the way I grow and put out what I do very consistently it's you're not going to see any cold cure on my page after 2018 when i figured out you know how to how to get everything as clean as possible and turn out a great fresh press and i'm not i'm not taking anything away from any of these guys that cold cure and do stuff because there is gold good cold cure on the market me yeah. personally it's just it's just not for me um if there's a company out there and they're putting out fresh press and cold cure and they're proven that you know that they can put out a good fresh press then you know, make some cold care. It's not for everybody. I mean, Fresh Press is kind of more of like a connoisseur small batch thing. I get it. There's not a ton of shelf life to it. It doesn't travel well. If you're going to ship it from here to the East coast, it's going to be buttered. It's going to look kind of weird. Um, I mean, I, I totally get all of that stuff, but for me personally, in my setup being small batch nano batch, you could say, I guess, um, it just works for me. And that's, that's the, the niche I'm going to fill and I'm going to roll with it. Cause that's, that's what I think is best.
1: Do you feel like the, whole plant cured material has a more rounded profile, having that cure and then being fresh press. And secondarily, do you feel like there is less of a change in that resin because it has it, because it comes from the cured material versus fresh press and sorry, fresh frozen rather.
3: Okay. So your first question, um, I think that just whole plant cured in general has just better, like not better, but different effects. It's, it's more like smoke and flower. It's going to be longer effects. It's going to get you higher. So, I mean, I, I don't do cold cure, so I'm not a hundred percent sure of the, you know, the comparison of both, sure. but, um, you're gonna have to re- you know, give me that second question again, dude, that was, a, that was a lot and I'm here smoking joints. Right. So one like question at a time.
1: <laughs> do you feel like there's less of a change in that resin over time? Due to the input material being a cured input
0: material, does the fr- does a fresh press uh, cured of cured material stay fresh press longer than a fresh press or press? No, or frozen?
3: no, yeah, I, I, no, it does not. It's all it's all about the same. I mean, oh. fresh press is is pretty pretty sensitive to any sort of you know heat. Or anything like that if you don't keep it in the freezer it's going to butter right away whether it's fresh press or whether it's whole plant cured or whole plant fresh frozen they're kind of the same
1: okay i thought there would be a bit more stability in the resin being cured but that's 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 interesting
3: so are you are you stability you mean stability you mean as far as curing or stability um like uh, like shelf life
1: in that state a little bit longer um versus turning
3: no,
0: no, it doesn't, it doesn't really affect it either way, about the same for both. So are you are you smoking, like are you sele- making your selections in your garden? I guess you, of course you are, but, but um, you're making your selections in your garden based off fresh press. So are you finding that when you're fetal hunting, there are a lot of fresh presses uh, that don't taste maybe a, a, a pronounced profile? At the time of fresh press, and are you looking for that that one standout that that holds in fresh press? Because, transparently, my experience with fresh press, both as a, a cultivator and maker, and as somebody who's you know smoked a lot of other people's hash, um, has been that that, that cured is is not only stronger um, as far as the effect goes, but but better represents a, a very robust f- flavor profile where where fresh press. I, and I understand that the terpenes are captured in that fresh press, but even upon exposing that to hot quartz, uh, my experience has been eight to nine out of 10 cultivars and varietals that I've tried, I would prefer, and I've tried both, uh, the fresh and the, the cured, I prefer the cured material. Okay. I mean, everyone has their preference. That's just, I, I,
3: I, I believe with the the cold cure, you're getting a lot more, you are definitely changing the terps a little bit and you're bringing them more to the surface so they're more readily available right now when you dab it when you crack that jar they're going to smack you in the face much more than fresh press um i think fresh press needs a little time to breathe when you pull it out of the freezer or the fridge almost like a a bottle of wine you crack the cork on and let it sit on the counter for a minute so i think it needs to warm up and kind of let those flavors you know meld a little bit inside the jar before you start hitting that fresh press but some people are fresh or pressing their stuff at uh, a lot higher heat than I am. And a lot of dudes that are making cold cure are pressing pretty hot and that's not where I'm pressing, I'm pressing really low temp. So I think that all has to, that all factors into how good your fresh press tastes. So you preserving those turps throughout the process.
0: What temperature are you pressing at?
3: Um, depending on the strain, but I'm always under 160. I'm usually in the 145 to 160 range.
2: That might you're be like, the lowest that I've heard. Not 60, yeah, one, 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 two, uh, so that, that
3: goes, that goes, that goes back to my technique and the people are going to say, oh, you're pressing so low, you're burning your chirps because your your, your bags are sitting on the plates way too long. And here's where I'm at. If I grow the resin, right. And I know the plant, which I get to know the plants that I'm, that I'm running. And, and if I do everything right throughout that process to get myself a, a good hash, I'm, you know, I'm on the plates for less than three minutes, usually two minutes on average, Um, two, two and a half minutes at 145, 150 degrees. And I'm getting anywhere from 90 to 95% yields most of the time on my hash. And that's 159 through 73U. That's not select spec. Um, Sometimes it'll be 159 through 45, but most of my stuff is right in that range. Just growing G's. And and, and for me, it's not- it's not about my hash tech like there's no secrets to washing hash like i say this all the time a monkey can wash hash it's one of the fucking easiest things to do in the world don't let any of these prima donna hash makers tell you that making hash is hard growing weed is fucking hard the heartbreaks that you go through growing weed in a season is nothing compared to a blowout bag or a shitty fucking run of hash so don't let anyone tell you it's hard i it's- Concentrate on making that resin the best it is while it's on the plant growing. That's why my shit turns out like it does, because I grow it like that. Not because I make hash the way I do. So I just
0: want to get that straight. Absolutely. Are you, when you consume your own product, are you opening up your fresh press and leaving it out on the table and and, and letting it butter out? or, Or are you trying to keep it fresh press for the, for the entire experience?
3: I'm, when I crack a jar of fresh press, I'm going to let it sit on the counter for, I don't know, half a day or so. Like I'll pull it out in the morning. And when I get back in the afternoon, I like that in between, not buttered, just starting to marble up. That's when the Terps are hitting in fresh press. If you're going to hit it right away, then you're going to be disappointed. You don't want, I don't want it all the way buttered, but I like it to be that in between. And that's just, that's kind of a connoisseur thing. I know you can't have that everywhere and everyone can't experience that, but. In the small match the small batches, I do it in a gram at a time. I think it's perfect.
0: That's that's awesome. That's very cool, and, and you know, definitely gives me some perspective because I think that you know a lot of us have, um, you know, our experiences with fast press are, are you know, when it when it's still a, a clear coin and and it's really hard to work with and things like that, and so you know, when it starts to marble out, like I I, I now kind of understand a little bit more about where you're coming from, where. You know, you want to be a part of that. Yeah, no, that's your, that's your window. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. That makes, that makes a whole, a whole heck of a lot more sense to me. So
3: what I, what I try to, what I try to tell people is I'm not opposed to cold cure, the best cold cure is, uh, in my opinion, should be consumed within the first 24 to 48 hours that it's, that it's mixed or whipped or however you, however they're doing it, whatever, whatever style they choose to get that consistency. Um, so I encourage people to buy fresh press and I try to educate them on the cold curing process, how to leave it out at what temperature to do it, what stage it looks like. And then I'd want them to just press it into the side of the jar with a rubber glove and and get it all, you know, mushed up and then have them experience that. And they've never had cold cure like that. You know, if you're buying it from a store or getting it months old, there's nothing like that, that fresh cold cure that's, you know, 24 hours, 48 hours old. So don't get me wrong. I'm not opposed to cold cure, but I think that. It it needs
0: to be consumed as fresh as possible. Interesting, interesting. That's that's really cool. Even like, and and you're talking about as fresh as po- possible. Once that jar is popped, correct?
3: Yeah. So if once you decide that you know you're gonna make cold cure out of your gram or your five gram jar or whatever it is that you that you have that that's what you want to do for your head smoke. You know, as soon as you crack it, that's it's best best consumed right now. Well, diminishing look like. Absolutely. Yeah, it's like
1: we've. Hundred percent. Yeah.
0: Hundred percent. Agreed. Um, I, I completely get behind that, and that's why, like, yes, yeah. that's so,
3: so my oh. problem, my problem with the mass produced cold cure is you're doing, you know, these guys are doing a hundred grams, two hundred grams. I've seen more in a jar, and they're whipping it up, and then they're dosing it out into two gram jars, and it could be a month before your end consumer gets it, and I think by that time it's lost to something. So, sure. I can keep p- fresh press in the freezer for almost an unlimited amount of time if I'm storing it right and I can bust it out a year from now, uh, give it to someone and have them cold cure it themselves or cold cure it for them. And they're going to get the best experience possible. And it's not going to be some evaporated terps that are harsh on the back end because it got whipped up six months ago.
0: Yeah. Are you, uh, if, if you, if you have melt, are you separating that melt out or are you pressing everything? Melt gets
3: pressed can't have good rosin without good melt in there. I
0: was gonna say 99, 95% returns. I kind of know that you're pretty much growing exclusively. Yeah. Um, that's, I mean, it's melt.
3: That's that's, like I said before, if you're gonna
0: judge, judge how good good your hash hash is.
3: (laughs) That's that for me, that's how good you, yeah. That's how good you can judge your hash. Tell me how good it is. Tell me what your returns are from your bag to your finished rosin. And I'm not a big fan of the five star, six star method of of rating hash put that shit in a bag and put it on your press is it coming back plus 90 is it 99 percent? like that's how we should be rating hash in my opinion is not you know how much char's in the banger or i like it. what the homie how, how many stars the how many stars the homie said it had because he finger pressed it like just what's the return from your bags to rosin dude tell me tell me how good your hash is is it 90 plus then we're talking melt if it's not then you you didn't do a good job when you washed it dude that's just that's facts Love it
1: love it. Honestly, love it. Like that should be the new metric for our
3: moving towards. I think it should be. I honestly think it should be. If you're, if you're trying to determine how melty something is, you can't take someone's word for it, that it's six star, like put it on a press, melt
2: that shit. How melty is it? 94%. Fuck. Yeah. So what, what, well, no, and then, and then it gives the percent, like, it's not one star, two star, like, fuck that.
0: Yeah, no, it's 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 a real scale. It's a
2: percentage now. And like, who's talking about that? They wanted a hundred point scale
0: uh somebody can't remember but, Wait, I, I, but yeah no, i know i mean
2: idea. i i love that
3: this is just this is just me like i know that um i've actually talked with Pell polar about this um so they are also a proponent of that i really do think that um that it should be on a percentage scale not a star scale at all
0: so are you growing that much melt getting those returns are you um when you're selecting for your resin, like, are you looking for just the absolute uh, stringiest? Like, like, what what kind of characteristics are you, are you selecting for? And is it is it more so the plant that, or is it the 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 environment that you've been able to design and the methodology that you've been able to develop? I believe it's the environment
3: under which I'm I'm doing it. I mean, it's a controlled environment. It's what I'm feeding it. It's it's even how far the lights are from the canopy, I'm talking indoor here, not depth, um, for the depth, like if you can grow it under a shade cloth where you're getting 80%, you know, light penetration, as opposed to the full sun, you're, you're going to grow better resin. It's not going to get sunburned, but just through, through the techniques that I've, you know, developed growing, um, I can get that percentage of melt across the board on whatever I grow. It doesn't matter the, the strain. It's just what I'm yielding from that. Is it a 1% washer or a 4% washer?
0: interesting so do you attribute the the you know uh, some people in the community would claim that smoking uh bland smoking melt has a more medicinal um or or stronger effect than smoking rosin is that something that you would agree with or is that something that you disagree with?
3: i disagree with that actually um i'm not a fan of smoking straight melt people seem to like it but um I mean, I think that something happens to it in the process of when you press it, it's decarbing or, you know, I'm, I'm sure it's changing at a molecular level for sure. Um, I don't I know smoking rock
2: at the temperature you're pressing at.
3: Yeah. I mean, okay. True. <laughs>
2: I'm just kidding. I'm True. just kidding. I'm just posting. So,
3: <laughs> but yeah. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not a fan of melt specifically for that reason. I don't think that it smacks any harder than, than rosin and honestly, man, if you got some, some good flour that's grown, right. I think it's on par with, with any of that stuff, as far as the, the overall high from it, some people just aren't into smoking flour. So
0: I and, and what do you attribute that to, Bud Smith, the, 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 the ingestion of flour being stronger than the ingestion of both rosin and melt in your opinion, what is, what is happening there that that's not happening, you know, in those two other examples, I mean. I'm not a scientist
3: or anything. Or but just from my 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 experience, yeah, just my opinion, experience of smoking. I think that there's more of a I mean an entourage effect or whatever you want to call it when it comes to smoke and flower, There's something that we're kind of filtering out. I mean, obviously we're filtering out the trichomes, but there's some more of the, I don't know if you want to call it a vibe or the life of the plant or the energy of it, whatever is in that flower. Like there's just more to smoke and tree than there is smoke and concentrate. And for me, it's just a more It's more of a personal thing like sitting around and passing a joint around with the homies bullshitting is just it's way a better vibe for me than passing a rig around and and hitting the torch And you know there's i'm not taking away from dabbing but something about the vibe of just smoking some good flour with the
0: friends like you can't beat that dude straight up so i i wanted to to ask you and I, i i don't know if you've had much experience with with salt grown material but if you have have you noticed any uh consistent differences between salt grown and organically grown resin um yeah, as far as my experience using salts, it's been uh
3: a long time since I've cracked a bottle in my garden um back in the day i've u- I used all the the leading three parts, but I wasn't making hash back then but I have done some toll washing and some you know washing for friends and and seeing the way nutrients affect the the trichome and I think what you feed it definitely a tr- uh, you know, affects the quality of your resin. And there's some brands out there, I'm not gonna go in and, and talk some shit on specific brands, but there are a few out there that you can tell, I can tell right away when I see someone's hash
0: that uh, that they're using a certain nutrient for sure. Interesting, interesting. Um, Brian, there was a question before about fresh press uh, and, and not having the bubbles, fresh press. Could we pull that up and beautiful? And then uh, oh perfect so so taylor, taylor jones is asking um if we can we we can touch on your your tech for fresh press and how, how you prevent the bubbles from forming when you're pressing
3: well i mean it I, I do get a little bubbles in there but i think that's the temperature i'm pressing at the hotter you press the more bubbles you're gonna get interesting
2: that's so friggin' logical
3: so for me if you're <laughs> pressing and your rosin's running out like a river off the press into a jar. You're pressing too hot. Like I don't care what temperature anyone says they're pressing at. If your rosin runs at like a river, you're in my opinion, you're pressing too hot. But look at that same technique that they're using. They're probably gonna cold cure that product. They're not gonna make it fresh pressed. It's not gonna be standalone in a jar, trying to you know look clear
0: with no bubbles. Oh, well, I remember early days pressing at 220. Just want just you know I and you know, kind of learning that, you know, that might not be the, the, the best opportunity. <laughs> well, I, I can definitely tell you I've never pressed it 145. And I think that that's really cool. Um Yeah, that's just that's that's incredible work. So I wanted to talk to you about um, your experiences with air drying versus freeze drying. You know i did you start out freeze drying or air drying and and, and move into freeze drying your, your resin or were you always freeze drying your resin how did that work
3: well ab- absolutely i started out air drying um i never air dried for rosin though I, it was always just air dried and then i'd make like the traditional sort of brick brick hash you know i'd put them in quarter pound pucks and sell them like that so it was you know it was, it was melty but it was real dark i could never get the the dry tech down so I didn't really start making hash rosin
0: until freeze dryers were available. Interesting. And have you had, you know, a lot of issues with freeze with, with your freeze dryers? Is it something that you think um, is is a tool that, that needs to be tweaked the same way as, as all the other processes in the hash? Or do you see it as sort of a, a standalone, you know, it goes in, it comes out, and then I, I, I work the resin from there?
3: I mean, for me, I've never had an issue with my freeze dryer. I know a lot of these guys have, have had issues with harvest rights and whatnot, but I have had not one single issue with it. And I've had it the same amount of time I've had my press. Um, there is something about putting hash under a vacuum and the terp loss that I feel you know could be discussed, but I don't know what a better option is right now to, to dry your hash and, and the amount of time that it's getting dried and keeping it the color that it is.
2: Yeah. I was gonna say, well, well that's where, I guess maybe, Jamison, your question leads to if you had complete customization and control of it, do, you know, you've, you were talking about playing around just on the press there. What about dropping down the, the amount of vacuum, you know, and potentially keeping it just as cold so that you're not having that loss. I don't know. Like, is that something that you you think could contribute? I mean, it, it definitely
3: could. And I don't know. I mean, it, it, I don't know how many tests have actually been done on terp loss or, or what's happening to it under vacuum or how it's even affecting your hash.
0: So, I mean, it I definitely be cool yeah. to get some tests first. you know. Our good friend H- Humphrey Hashish on Instagram uh, is a, a freeze dryer and is, is taking deep dive into the freeze dryer side of things and, and, you know, shares his knowledge pretty openly. So, you know, we'll love to connect you with him and, and you know, we're definitely going to have him on to, to talk more about it, but he's been um, collecting people's freeze dryer data, analyzing it and and, and sending it back to them. So, um definitely you know a guy to talk to you there but um yeah that'd be great and as far
3: as as the freeze dryer goes I try to limit the amount of time that my hash is actually in the freeze dryer Um, in my room I'm I'm working you know into a a chest freezer so all of my stuff is pre-frozen when it goes into the freeze dryer so I'm just gonna you know get the freeze dryer down to temp and I'm not trying to overload my trays so I'm trying to keep my my dry time to under six hours. So if I can be in between four and six hours, typically it's about five or six hours in the, in the dry chamber. So I'm reducing the amount of time that it's in there. But I mean, if you're running large runs, I've, I've seen people run that for 24 hours or more, just trying to dry some trays. But yeah. once again, I'm, I'm nano batch. I'm not trying to run out commercial amounts of rosin. So for me, I'm, I'm limiting the amount of time that, that what I'm doing is in the freeze dryer. Yeah,
1: You limit, you limit the batches going in. Do you have like a specific, volume that will go in, or you'll only fill your trays a certain way to make that happen? Or do you just it's the batch size? Or like, how do you how do you control that?
3: Um, as far as how much I'm putting in there?
1: No, like to actually like limit the amount of time the hash spends in the dryer? Like what
3: variables? Well, it's just, yeah, I'm, I'm just making sure that you know, like I said, my hash is pre frozen when it's going in there. So I'm not running the whole, you know, however okay. long it takes to Get it down to temperature, I don't know, eight hours or some, something like that. And then I'm just running a real thin amount in my trays. So it's not in there under vacuum drying for a long time. Yeah. Thin amount. Okay. What, uh, what's, what's your shelf temp that you're running? What's smith? Um, it's probably higher than some people, but I'm about 35 degrees, 40 degrees, something
0: like that. Interesting. Interesting.
3: That's really cool. Yeah, no, I, I know that. So my, my, my theory behind running a little higher shelf temperature, um, is you can actually get into the brain of these freeze dryers and, and set how many, uh, sh- uh, short micro batches and small batches it's running and all that sort of stuff. And, um, I've set it, so it's running smaller, shorter dry times. So I kind of bumped the temp up a little bit. So it's not actually coming up to that temperature. I don't think because it's, there's so much cold in that chamber. So, um, yeah, some people I know are running down in the 20s, but i just been kind of tweaking it to it, it dries faster and I still think I'm getting a good product out of it.
0: Yeah. We you know guys going as low as 5, um, you know, definitely, definitely interesting. It definitely it definitely slows down your drive time. Well. Um, so if you're cool, sick, you know, quick in and out, it, it might be working against you. Um, I wanted to ask you about resin mixing, um, you know, both pre and post wash. If, is that something that you're you're a fan of? Or is that something that you do, or is that something that you're against?
3: Uh, it's not something I do. I'm not opposed to it. Uh, I do know there's hash makers out there. You give them three or four different flavors, and they come back with twelve new strains. But um, I mean, long as they taste good, and it's I, I don't see a problem with it. It's I, I don't know. I don't personally do it because I don't have a ton of flavors, and I'm not looking to always add something new to the menu and keep things rolling like that. But I'm not opposed to it man if you want to blend some stuff and make a new unique flavor out of two fire flavors it it sounds good to me
0: (laughs) that's a that's a fair assessment i wanted to to touch on hash yields um you know i i like to bring this up to everybody who comes on the show and 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 touch a little bit on your thoughts and i think we touched on it before but you know in the industry where we're trying to to create a system where we're comparing apples to apples do you feel I mean, I kind of i i'm I'm answering my own question where you know the 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 answer is uh, rosin off the bag, not um, not how much did did the plant yield in in the water and I think that you know that's a really interesting way way to look at it. like I think that um my problem is is that if you have a rockwell grower that did a dry ba- a three day dry back on um his material before he he harvested. Uh, froze it and and then washed it and you have that another grower who grew the same cultivar in a really wet Hugo bed uh, in a greenhouse that those yield numbers I don't believe are going to be the same due to the plants that what active water in that plants uh, the biomass of that material and so I think that you know coming up with a different way to analyze yields and for us to really talk to each other in exacting measures is is uh, really vital. And it's something I like to bring up on every show. And, you know, I, I really think that you're the first person that's brought up a, 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 a true uh, potential solution that where we can say, okay, well, what did, what did that do off the bag? Well, it, this, but it doesn't, current, it doesn't
1: the, the, scale is missing variables, right? Yeah. And, and your solution incorporates those variables back into it. Right. So I think well, you're
3: throwing, you're throwing in the X factor of the skill of the guy who's washing it also but Absolutely. yields i mean i guess yield to bag, you know bag to yield i guess does make sense but yeah, um just, but you're, it, you're throwing in some other factors of you know human error along the line of of washing it or processing it that you could be that sure, gaining sure. or losing yields depending on the skill of the person doing it for sure but like, in a water. perfect world and every, everything's you know on the level in a perfect world and everyone's doing what they're supposed to yeah that that sounds like a great way to figure it out
2: and like no uh, but i think that that's where the yeah. variable comes in that is a good variable like that's what you want to know is it, if, if we grow the same plant or I have the same chance to wash it and, you know, you get a you get a 6%, I get a 5% yield, what does that really mean when we have the exact same plant, right? So, like, I think that human error is an important thing to consider and it's not like we have to point out and point fingers. It just says all-encompassing, as RJ said.
1: But it's whose who's process is more efficient, whose product, like, whose prep, you know, everything. It's an all-encompassing kind of solution and all-encompassing, um, uh, number and approach, okay. you know, and, and, and wait to sail it. So I think like that's, that's awesome. Cause yeah, there's it's, it's the, the star approach is just, you know, not quite there. And then the, the percentage approach is like, great. Well, is it percentage on, you know, dried material percentage on fresh material, fresh frozen material, has it had, you know, any water? What's, when's the last time it was water? Like what's, what's the water activity? Like so many other variables to, to consider, but I think the, the, the bag to rosin is the best because it encompasses human error. It encompasses material process, everything. So I think it's, and I mean, as far as
3: it, The way I see it, as far as percentage yields, like, you know, on fresh frozen, if you got 6%, are you, is that everything? Is that two twenty through 45 right. or is that, Absolutely. is that 6% of just what you press? absolutely so that's yeah you know.
1: yeah so we either have to talk in more of those terms and 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 more differentiate what we're talking about specifically or we just do back to rosin boom there is your number
0: and uh but it, it it doesn't it doesn't fulfill the whole question cuz like for 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 looking at business viability you have to have the the other number you have to it it should be
2: no i think it's another variable and it's an important one you have you have uh, you need multiple numbers i think it's it's almost like selling it too short to have a single number
0: yeah yeah it's not having enough information i think that's fair um i wanted to 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 talk about your cultivars that that you currently work with buts with you've got a lot of interesting cultivars and and we always like to you know take a take a a a moment on the show to to talk about that you know what what material you're working with each each maker is working with and what makes that so special so i mean i've got some questions but you know like the frost donkey definitely jumped out at me is that is that something that was <laughs> was, was hunted or is that something that uh was a cut that was gifted or, or how did what's the story behind that
3: yeah, that's a cut that was gifted from a, a friend of mine in southern Humboldt. uh something they've been running it's a gmo peanut butter breath cross it's pretty unique it doesn't dump like doesn't dump like gmo but it's got a real
0: interesting sort of flavor to it interesting and so what is your uh you know being a micro batch um nano batch individual do you operate on minimum effective yields or or minimum yields in your garden are you really just purely looking off you know a, a flavor and experience profile
3: Uh, you know, I mean, there's always those flavors that taste so good that you're going to run them no matter what they yield. But I mean, obviously you got to be pulling some sort of weight out of your garden to make it worthwhile. Um, Being, being a single source guy though. um, I mean, 3%, 2.5%, it's not the highest yields, but I mean, that's a good yield when you get all of your material. If you're processing for someone and you wash at 3% and you got to, split it or give back 60%, 70%, whatever. I think the 50, 50 split's way too high for these hash makers. That's another, another subject if you want to talk about that. But, um, so yeah, if, if you're getting 3% and you got to split that percent, then 3 percent's not enough. You need that 6%, 7% washer, which to me, I can wash a 3% and still be doing just as good as someone that's processing for someone else that needs to get that seven to get the same amount of rosin.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and that I I do want to touch on those those splits later. But I, I, is there anything? What, did, what in your garden did you hunt currently? Or um, that- let me see. What did I? Hunt?
3: Uh, a lot of stuff I'm running right now is either gifted or you know seeds from someone else. I ran a uh, uh, couple of strains this last summer that I did a uh, Oregon lemons Boccio, or you know Gelato 41 cross. They yeah. called Bud Smith Boccio it had kind of a lemony vibe to it, but for the most part, I'm just running, you know, clones that I can get from people and, you know, stuff that's gifted that, that they tried that turned out really good, man. One of my favorite strains that a lot of people talk shit on is the Mac one caps cut. People don't give that enough credit. It's, um, really hard to grow, but if you can get it right, it's going to yield you two plus pounds per light and 6% wash like consistently people talk shit on the Terps and all this and that. But I mean, that's one of the most consistent, best strains I have in my stable right now. Interesting.
0: Wow. That's really cool. Do you try and have something for everybody or do you just keep what you like around? Well, to a certain extent,
3: I try to, you know, at least keep a few flavors around that that people want to try. But for me, if, if I don't vibe with it and I don't like it, then I can't put, you know, my full effort into making it the best I can. So a lot of times I'd say, you know, 80% of the time I'm growing what I like and how I like to do it. And I just hope other people like it too.
0: When you're uh, looking at the, at, what's your approach when determining when a plant is ready to be harvested? Are you looking at for your, your typical uh, amber amber trichomes and, that, and if so, how, what percentage are you looking for
3: um, there's a few different factors I look at when I'm ready to harvest, um, you know, trichomes being one of them. Uh, once they start to turn milky, not quite amber, that's one indication. Um, depending on the strain that you're growing, you can tell by the fade and how the, the leaves are reacting and just how the, the flowers finishing up. Um, you know, there's that kind of day range. If you know how long it's going to take, you know, 65, 70 days, you kind of look, start looking for the signs, but I think that trichomes are, you know, a pretty good indicator of at least when the resin is done. That may not be the best indicator for when your flower is done, but, you know, that's there's about a week window in there I think the resin's done before technically you would harvest for flower because, you know, sad to say but a lot of us are harvesting to save that color because no one wants amber colored resin. They're all looking for that that gold or, you know, early harvested white shit that, you know, not that good.
2: Yeah. Bird Bird the other day was talking about looking at it under the microscope and looking at underneath the head where it's going to cleave. that. What were your thoughts on that as far as when to harvest?
3: Oh man, Bird and I have gone round and round about that. And he is adamant about when the stock starts to taper in and at the abscission where the trichome head comes off of the stock, like that's how you can tell when it's ready to harvest because it starts to angle in and you know, um, he's got a good valid point, but bird doesn't have any sort of growing background. So he's strictly coming at it from a point of resin and things that he's learned from his mentor. Um, so I don't think all of those things are completely accurate. I do think that the trichome is a pretty big trichome color is a pretty good indicator of when things are done as opposed to when your your you know, abscission is, is ready to break off of there. So, I mean, it might be ready to harvest or it might break off easier. But I don't know if, if that whole tech is, is, is reliable, but that's, it's just my, I didn't
2: didn't know there was controversy. I love it. So do you, if you want to, if you want to look at
3: what, how bird does shit and how I do shit, they're almost completely opposite. And we're coming up with the same, almost the same exact product in the end. So he and I talking shit to each other and going back and forth and kind of having that controversy and that friendly competition, I, I really think like breeds success competition breeds success and it helps you you know friendly competition and it helps you raise your your bar a little bit so he's got one view on it and i have a completely different view we're both getting close to the same yields and our products both look good so i mean obviously there's different ways to do things
1: and for you you say you're mostly a flower smoker so do you harvest your flower later than you harvest your resin as you're seeing i do yep okay so do you would you partition or portion rather a part, like a bit of your crop of each street.
3: Okay, so I can't grow. I can't grow in the same room for flour as I do for resin. It just doesn't work. That
2: was my next specifically.
3: In the, oh shit. Okay. Yeah. So, so the way I have my indoor setup is I have multiple small rooms. I think that you can grow better flour when you're not in like a, you know, warehouse setting or giant room setting. So I do smaller mm-hmm. rooms, which also allows me to rotate my flavors, do one room for flour do other rooms for concentrate test in some rooms. If I want, I could run, you know, 50 different flavors in one room and then just run one flavor in another. So, um, I do separate the room. So if I'm growing for flower, it's, you know, the way the lights are hung and how close they are and the fans and what I'm using in the soil is completely different than I would do when I'm growing for resin in a different room.
1: Wow. Okay. That's, that's amazing. So strain selection
3: different for flower versus resin. Um, yeah, absolutely. When I do wow. some testing on some of my strains, uh, you know, if they don't wash, but they have killer terps and they're, they're good flour, then I'm gonna, um, you know, run that in the flower room. But these days with the way the prices are and shit like that, it's, uh, you know, mostly looking for resin these days.
1: That's, That's fair. fair. That's fair. That's fair. Hey, sure. so
3: you guys, you yeah, hang on just one second, you guys are gonna have to give me a minute. I gotta go rug, run, run and grab a phone charger cause my phone's about to die. So oh, give boy, me yeah, like two to three do that. All I'll right, be right back. Right.
2: Yep. Okay. Yeah, Rackhams, we know you told us you told us. <laughs> that's
1: dope. That's dope that he runs different rooms entirely though for flower versus resin yeah. versus like that's I love that. That's hype.
0: Yo, did we miss anything? If there's anybody in the chat that we know brought- i i
2: yeah, we just missed Rackham's talking shit about how he buys this beautiful resin and then he likes to ruin it, and then he likes to take <laughs> and send it and send it, send it back to Mendo just to fucking break his heart and make him angry. <laughs> oh, no, I've been posting stuff up as we go, but yeah, a um, couple of that's questions good. that came up from there. But yeah, that's, uh, that's fine. that's so. It's funny, like I thought him and Bird would be on the exact same page because they're like you know, doing the class and stuff together. So I love that. I, lo- I love that you have different thing- different opinions and like you come up with the same product. It's all about taking the ca- the care. You can end up at the same place.
0: Yeah.
3: For sure. All right. I'm back, guys. I-, I heard a little bit of what you were saying. Um, no, actually, when it comes to technique, Bird and I are not on the same page. We're okay. really good friends, but... No, yeah. That's
2: what I said. And it's
0: not- awesome that yeah. you end
2: up at the same place, though. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Very cool. I wanted to uh, to talk a little bit about you know, and, and you touched on it with, with pack prices for flour being where they're at, um, you know, the California market's in quite a tough spot right now, multiple markets, including the Canadian markets in a tough spot right now. Um, how do you see the industry moving forward? Uh, like, you know, are you optimistic or do you feel that, you know, this was a complete waste of time exercise and, and things need to have a dramatic change? Bro.
3: Uh, that's that's Pandora's box right there. How I feel about legalization and how it was handled um is, is fucking so sad here in California and across the country. I mean, start just just to start out, uh well man, where do I start? So they basically voted in the people that oppressed them for their entire life, me included. Um, the same people holding fucking knees on your neck with guns in your face are now the people coming to your farms and regulating your plants and telling you what to do. And you're in bed with the fucking enemy, in my opinion. Uh, If this system was not intended for the grower, the small grower specifically, uh, this bill was passed here in California for corporate growers to succeed and push out small farms. Uh, A lot of these guys have put their life savings into trying to get into the permit process. And they have nothing to show for it. the The markets crashed, and the corporations are taken over. And uh, it's a sad state of affairs here in California.
0: Yeah, no, it's it, it, it's really bad. Like it's uh, it's it's you know, I I've seen guys who I I thought were you know unshakable get pretty shook, and and I'm seeing a, a yeah, I'm seeing an exodus and a, and not only an exodus away from the state, but you know, towards towards more traditional markets and, and it's interesting to me because you know those are the brands that are connecting with consumers and those are the brands that you know ultimately are going to be more valuable for these corporate commercial entities that are moving you know moving through the space and so um it's been really interesting to see what's happened here in Canada with you know regulations and and interpretations around what leg what brands that previously operated in legacy spaces can and can't do and I think that you know Uh, these large corporations realizing that, Hey, listen, if we have an opportunity to, to uh, align ourselves with, with somebody who's already gained, um, you know, notoriety as somebody delivering quality. um, You know, that's very valuable to us at at a certain point. And so um, I think it's been, um, it's been a really rough ride and it's, it's, you know, it's not going to get any, any calmer anytime soon, you know, the, the, the industry is the, the way it is and, and the regulations are going to continue to change um but yeah i i think that you know i i really respect your view and i think that you know it's a it's a super upside down t- way that the, this whole thing is unfolded um yeah i mean i i could see
3: this coming from the very beginning um the minute they decided to merge our medical program with our legal program the rec market i knew that. At that point, it wasn't about the growers or the patients or whatever you wanna call them, the consumers. It was about money and getting that money back that they missed throughout all those years of the black market. They're taking that back out of your savings right now with the permit process, and that's all they're doing. They're gonna milk these farmers dry. They're gonna ruin the pack prices. They're gonna let you grow 15 million pounds when there's a demand for 2 million, and they know this. It's um, it's, just, it's, It just goes on and on, man. It's, it's unbelievable.
2: i I didn't realize how similar canada was like how
3: it's literally the exact it's it's not it's not about community and it's not about what we do this is about corporations and that corporate structure is the same everywhere it's here it's in canada you can go to another country you can go to europe corporations are greedy and they all do it the same way and that's how it's playing out across the country and every state here in the united states and it sounds like canada too so i mean For me, I've never been a proponent of, of legalization. Uh, this is more like, you know, I mean, it's regulation at best. I wouldn't even call it regulation. You can't do what you want to do. Legalization across the board is, is everyone can grow and do your thing. And, and that's that, and that's not what we get here in California. So never been a fan of it. I'm going to stay traditional black market. I'm going to put on for the black market and I'm never going to stop growing. And you're never going to put a permit on me ever
1: so there's know, no like,
2: to, to, to be to basically put yourself out there and then to basically be regulated to the point where what i've heard recently of, of you know people getting raided even when they have licenses and having to pay up and uh it's just a fucked up world like as you said it, it's 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 uh, corporate everywhere and yeah I, I guess i couldn't expect canada to be different
3: <laughs> so yeah as far as legalization and what's happening there and and if, i don't know if that answers your question but um i could go on and on about the process and the people that have been alienated and and the true ogs that never got a chance and just you know white market overgrowing and back backdooring on the black market and ruining the ruining the market that's that's kind of what's happening you know what i mean before we do Stay go right. okay go ahead. no I, I was just gonna say these same guys that that were you know Fuck the cops and all this sort of shit are now in bed with the police and their tax money is going to enforce the black market that gave them the foundation that they're standing on today. So I don't I really don't get the way the process
0: is going and the way these people are jumping in like this. Yeah, it it's pretty gross. Um, you know, I've you know, unfortunately seen the ugly side of this industry more than once and and it's been uh it, it, it hasn't been fun. You know, you, you made a comment earlier about the the hash um or, or the breakdown for for makers and 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 growers and and how that system is a little bit flawed and and you're i'd love you to share a little bit more of your thoughts on that system and maybe suggestions on the way it should it should look uh yeah okay i i mean coming from a
3: growing standpoint and being a hash maker, I see yeah. it from both sides. But that's why, that's why I have the opinions that I do on it. And like we were talking before, we touched a little bit on how long it actually takes. If you're going to either go from a clone or hunt from a seed, you know, you could be putting a half of your year or a whole year into just getting that one harvest out. And, you know, all of the trials and tribulations it takes throughout a grow, like there's countless things that could happen. We've been having fires here in California that have ruined crops and just anything can happen throughout the grow. So you you finally pull off a killer grow and you got good resin. Uh, you put your life and all your money into it in most cases for these guys around here. And then you got a hash processor that wants to come in and take half your crop to wash it. And it's going to take him a week, two weeks tops. He's going to give you back maybe half your shit if he's honest. So, I mean, I think something needs to be done there. I'm not saying everyone's dishonest, but I really don't think that a 50-50 split is fair for the work that goes into growing it and the amount of work it takes to wash it.
0: I would agree with you. Like this fair comment.
3: Absolutely. agree. And I'm not trying to, ruin I, anyone's I, well, game or, you know, fuck up their hustle or throw shade on them because there's a lot of hash makers out there getting half of people's gardens. Trust me. And you know, it's, it's, it's kind of the common thing. And I, I, like I said before, I come from kind of a blue collar background. I, I actually have worked a nine to five and I do occasionally still do that. So, you know, if you, came up with a flat rate, or if you actually That's had your shit together and, and had some money as a hash maker to buy product for a flat rate from the grower at, at a discounted rate at whatever percentage wet to dry you think is, you know, five to one, six to one, seven to one, whatever people think it is, then I think that would be much more fair for the grower because a lot of go, a lot goes into the growing. And there's a, I mean, I understand. You've got thousands and tens of thousands in some cases of equipment being a hash maker. So having the right equipment makes the best hash. But you can't expect to recoup all that money on your first run. If I buy a new tool, I'm not going to charge the next customer to pay back my tool. I'm going to get it over time, doing the job that I'm trained to do.
0: Absolutely true. Absolutely
3: true. As far as general, should I, be, I'm not. I'm not hundred percent sure what, what it should be. I mean, if, if everyone feels that the deal's fair and the farmer wants to give away 50%, I mean, let's say the hash maker's also going to move the product and he's going to market the farm and he's got some other assets to offer other than just toll washing. Then, you know, maybe 50% is fair or maybe 40% is that, fair. That's
2: what, you I mean. know what I mean? Sure. But what, what about, so here's where I think it also be complicated. First, we in someone growing a new cut or a new line versus one that's, you know, been gifted in a tested line and then, you know, requesting those same that same level. Right? Like if it's a tested line and you're like, yo, this this hits six percent all day, no problem. Like we've run it before. You know, and asking for fifty percent.
3: As as as, some, as well, as someone who's gonna wash hash for someone, you're gonna want to probably do a test run or figure yeah. out numbers on your own. Cause just yeah. taking hearsay
0: from one, that's not going to get you anywhere. So I wanted to so so like with with that and 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 what you've learned from from the market, I wanted to ask you know, are you focused purely on smoking your own uh product and experiencing that, or are you trying other people's products in the market and and, and seeing what what they're doing?
3: That's a good question. I am probably unique in that I only smoke what I grow. There's maybe two people that I know in the whole world who actually smoke their weed. Um, I don't trust what most people put on their weed when they grow it. If you use bottled nutrients, I don't want nothing to do with it. I appreciate the sentiment giving me the flower or the, the, the hash. Um, just not my thing, dude. Like I know what I smoke is clean cause I know what goes into it. And I talk to a lot of people and they say, oh man, how can you smoke so much flour when I smoke flour, and my lungs turn black, I'm spitting up shit after. Whatever I've been smoking my own weed for my whole life and. Let me tell you, I'm, I, I mean, I run, I ride a dirt bike, I'm healthy. I don't spit up black shit. I've smoked every single day since I was a teenager without break and I'm doing fine. So I think there's something to be said there with the cleanliness of what you're smoking and you know, I'm, you know, once again, not talking shit on anyone's process. Well, actually I guess I am, but I just, I'd rather smoke my own cause I know it's safe for my own peace of mind. Like I like to grow my own food if I can, I hunt my own meat, uh, it's it's you know said that single source lifestyle dude i think that's just what i'm living like i'm smoking what i'm growing and i'm trying to live off the land as much as possible and um that's just kind of my philosophy
0: that's beautiful man i i got i got nothing but respect for that
3: so i do enjoy i do enjoy looking at um other people's flavors and i do try them you know like i'm they're gonna give me a grandma rosin and i'm gonna try it and so i'll let them know that i you know how it tasted or whatnot but it's not gonna be
0: my every take everyday, everyday go to when I'm just yeah. trying to smoke. Sure. Absolutely. I it I do you have genetics that you hold in in very high regard where if you were to to lose them you wouldn't be able to, you know, it would be a it would be a big blow or, or do you look at genetics a little differently where, you know, more easy come, easy go, uh type of attitude?
3: Um, some of the stuff I do have is is, you know, pretty special to me. We had a fire scare two years ago and there was not much in the cab of my truck other than mother plants when I was leaving the mountain and it was on fire. So that should tell you something. Wow. Okay. I get you. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't have personal books and, and fucking trophies. I, I, I got my genetics and you can ask the guy that works for me. Shout out loud cut. Uh, he was like, all right, we're just taking the plants. I'm like, yeah, we can restart with plants. I don't need this other shit. I need these genetics. So yeah.
1: Can we confirm something real quick, Mr. Budsmith? Yes. That you will not smoke rackham's weed
3: (laughs) i won't i'm sorry i'm sorry (laughs) (laughs) yeah i know he's i know he's on there making comments that fucking troll (laughs) that's literally what he commented that's literally he knows me. He's just stoking the fires, bro. Yeah,
2: he said he also and likes just, to buy your beautiful fresh press and then cold cure it and then whip it up. And then yeah, and that,
3: sure. and that fucking guy, he sends me videos of, of oh, yeah. whipping cool. the shit out of my fresh press. Yeah, I thought
2: no. he was just fucking joking
3: around. Man. No, he's a, he's a friend of mine. He buy, he buy I give him rosin and he takes it home and whips the shit out of it on purpose just to show me. <laughs> so, yeah, it's all in good fun. And I do, so when good. Nick does give... When Nick gives me rosin, I, I do try it and I do smoke it. So, you know, there's something to that. Cause I do know that it's grown with bottle nutrients, but I respect his craft and I want to try his flavors. So I'll, I'll sacrifice my health to smoke Nick's rosin. <laughs> this is all fun. I'm talking, I'm just talking shit. <laughs> Yo, I know that's I love it. Like
2: this is all, it's like fucking brother. It's like brothers hitting, like smashing like on each other, you know? Like I love
3: it. Yeah, yeah. no, exactly. No, I, I've known, I've known Rackham's for a long time, man. We got started, uh, going he was going to the sessions over in the sacramento area and i wanted to break into the scene and talk to him about it and man he was nothing but nothing but kind and and shared any info that he had and let me share a table with him to get in there and ever since then we've been friends and kind of the same thing with me and bird we kind of push each other a little bit and when i have a question i'm going to call him and he was a really big influence on me learning how to do the thc diamonds and that whole mechanical separation thing. Cause I wanted to know how to do it. Although I'm not really putting it in my product line. Like I, I, I think he's one of the best at it for sure.
0: That's awesome. That's yep.
2: awesome. So uh, Jameson, I want to, I want to, I don't know if you have this planned yet, but I, I just want to share this.
0: Yeah, no, this, is...
2: we need to get into this.
3: <laughs>
0: I, I, I... Those, those are a labor of love right there, guys. Yeah, <laughs> before, before we get into that i kind of want to know what was in the first car load out during the fire scare as far as like <laughs> you know what what got what got priority number one on the first air force one out of there well
3: um let's see i had the mac one in there i have some pretty special og strains that i just grow for the head because people don't seem to like og so those got thrown in there uh, shit. What else did I have? Uh, it's funny. Cause some of those I don't even have right now, I've replaced them with other stuff because it was a couple years ago, but I knew that it was something that I needed to get started. Um, yep. there was some, some cake crosses in there. Uh, shit. What was the other one? I'm trying to think, uh, shit off the top of my head. I can't, I can't think That's exactly okay. what they were, but you know what I mean? What it it, it was, it was def- definitely something that was special at the time.
0: What about right now? Like what's, what's in the, what's, what's in the, uh, the mother room that is really special to you that comes to mind when i when i ask um stuff
3: that i really want to hang on to right now let's see um man there's so many to think of cuz some of these new ones sound really good but um shit man there's 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 just too many to list but okay. i mean i like gas i like gas myself dude so like it's not really a, about a resin thing like i i kind of yeah. go back to like the OGs and the sour Ds. Like I had a super sour diesel that I had for a minute that I just gifted to a friend that, that's just awesome smoke, but, you know, it doesn't wash and people don't seem to want to buy that stuff anymore. So, um, and I've got a, a really good, I've got a good lemon limes, a lemon limes cut from a, a friend of mine, a 20 nomad. It's a cross that he made. It's a sour D biker OG crossed with a key lime pie. Um, super interesting
0: terps on that one. That one's, that one's pretty good right now. That's awesome. That's awesome. So like, where do you fall as an OG smoker? Like, are you on the earthy side? Are you on the lemon, side uh, the like lemon lime side? Or like, where- no,
3: no, I'm the I'm the old school, earthy coffee, uh, like that tree moss sort of sort of vibe that OG has, man. Like, I think the Woody Kush was one of my favorite versions of the OG back in the day. I don't know if you guys ever tried that, but
0: I've um, never tried like, it. We've
3: Never tried it. That's try
0: that. fucking. That would be. That would be awesome. So, um. What, like, what I, one thing I like to ask everybody who comes on the show is, is what's one, le- like, one lesson in your career, in your hash making career that you would have wished you would have learned much earlier on? Is there any one thing that comes to mind?
3: Um, lesson as far as tech or just in general? Um, I mean,
0: I get, I, I, th- I mean, I would, if you have one for both, um, I would, I would love that. But for, for, for tech specifically, is what way was supposed
3: I mean, overall, it doesn't matter what, you know, a uh, system you're using, whether it's machines or what bags you're using or whatever, I'd say just take your time at each step and don't try to rush rush through it. You know, what I mean it's not it's not a race. You don't need to get it done as fast as possible. So I think just kind of taking your time and getting to know the material you're working with and and what it's doing. I think as a hash maker that's really important. So I think that might be a really good tip to start out. Just, you know, take your time, look at stuff and make sure you're covering all your bases because like I said before fractions make make up percentages and you know that all adds up it could either be a positive or a negative
0: absolutely man I think like you know some of the best makers that I know are not only very hard on themselves and you know the most their biggest critics but you know are are meticulous in their prep work and 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 you know in everything they do and 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 I think that you know, those are the type of people that, that I want making my resin. Um, and, and I think that, you know, it clearly shows in, in, in the pictures you posted. And the next time I'm, I'm, I'm on the, you know, West coast down there, I'm definitely going to, going to seek, seek your, your material out to, to, to try. Oh, I got you guys. I'll, I'll save
3: a can of for you too. Hopefully you guys can finish it. Never, never seen one finished can, one yet. I can finish
0: it. I can finish it. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. They, they burned for like two hours, two, three hours. I'm your guy. There's a lot of All right. I'm your I'm your man. Look
3: at how confident Jameson is. Bro, right. looking at just, he just paint. nah, he just he just wants a can of gar. He can't finish. No it. bro. No bro.
0: I'm thinking <laughs> I'll finish it. I'll finish it. All right. It. Well, I got you. I got you guys. So work you about, I wanna talk about these can of guys because you know, so it's you know, this has been on my radar for a long time and like I used to be on a much more corporate side of, of this whole game and I remember using the. I, I believe it was an eleven thousand U.S. dollar Canagar example that was sold, I, and I believe it was in twenty eighteen in some Vegas dispensary. I could be wrong. I could have my deal No, you're
3: it, it. no, you're absolutely right. It, it was fucking wrapped in gold and some gambles, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Douchebag fucking bought it yeah. and smoked it. Yeah, yeah. So,
0: <laughs> so you know that that um, you know, I've been a big fan of of the the. The, you know really high-end offering for a really long time that the, the niche products and i think that this is something that is absolutely a showcase of, of what can be done at the absolute level of, of of excellence at on on a nano batch like you said where can, can you walk us through are you using the purple rose presses uh for those categories or did you design your own press or, or how are you how are you running those just to start with the the flower
3: uh, well, the Kanagar press I'm using, it's just a, it's a handmade wooden press that I found oh. on uh, some random website that this guy makes. They're all, all handmade individually. So I'm not a hundred percent sure of the brand. They don't even have an Instagram page. Um, I can't even find them anymore, honestly. So, um, but my whole thing with getting the wooden one is it, it's just kind of goes back to my, I don't know, I guess mountain roots or trying to be natural or whatever, but a lot of the ones out there are either stainless steel or aluminum or plastic. And I just didn't feel like packing my Kanagars in any of those, you know, products were, you know, as good, I guess. I don't know.
0: So I chose the wood one. Interesting. And I see that, that, oh, in those, you use a wooden rod. And then the other picture, you had a stainless steel rod through. Um. Yeah. So in, in the, in the mold, they
3: come, you know, with a stainless steel rod. That's a little bit smaller than the bamboo rod and i found that um if you use the bamboo when you're making them it it's really hard to pull out of there because the fibers of the yep. weed get stuck in the bamboo so i use a slightly bigger diameter stainless steel than the bamboo and pull that out because the stainless steel is you know it's slicker so it pulls out of there and then i insert the the bamboo one and it has a little bit of room in there
0: so that that's huge tech um i have I a a long time supporter of the purple rose guys who like didn't commercialize the Canada guy press. And I, I don't know about commercialized. I don't know. I'm not making claims. I don't know about, but I, I, I bought a Canada press a long time ago and, and I used, it, experimented on it. And my issue was exactly that where, you know, these bamboo skewers were really hard to pull out causing a whole catastrophic failure. And then you just got a big, you know, hot dog of cannabis and extract that isn't really usable. So um i think that that's that's really yeah
3: the, the r&d the, the r&d that went into these things like you wouldn't believe how many of these i gave away in the beginning and how many i broke and how many i you know smoked myself like i can't even tell you how many of these i've smoked trying to figure out the how hard to pack them and what the burn rate's going to be and just just all those different factors cuz i don't want to put out you know uh, these things aren't cheap so i'm not trying to put out something that's not going to perform like i advertise it so yeah, I mean, once again, it's just the, the attention to detail, like I say, at every step, and that's how they turn out like that. And I'm not the only one doing these. Obviously, there's other people out there doing them, and uh, but I'd like to
0: think that mine are up there with some of the better ones. That's super interesting. So, so walk us through the, you know, you're you're coding that with, um, rosin. I'm assuming. Yes, uh, I mean, I've got different
3: levels of canagars. Some okay. of these ones you're looking at now are
2: probably shatter
3: yeah yeah it's it's bho it's open (laughs) blast backyard (laughs) so so yeah i've got different levels there could be you know the flower could be outdoor depth or indoor and then the different levels of hash rosin it could be you know dried material whole plant fresh frozen could be something made from trim um i try to offer different price levels but these ones you're looking at are my premium ones so um seven grams of indoor og are those ones and two grams, of whole plant fresh frozen. And as you can see, I like to show pictures. That's not my seconds. That's not second press. That's not garbage. That's the same shit you're going to get in a jar when you buy it from me. So I'm not trying to front on quality whatsoever. And then I'm also going to roll it in half a gram of, of 159
0: through 73 hash. And what was your, uh, reasoning to do that just to create a nonstick, uh, surface? Well, not all not all of them have hash. These are just the top of the line have some hash in there. Interesting. I wanna
3: talk They about- generally, generally don't have hash. It's usually just the rosin.
0: Okay, and I wanna talk, you, and you wrap those in, in real cannabis leaves, right? I do. And so can you take us through your process on there? Cause I know there's a bit of an art to, to doing that as well. And there's a bit of an, uh, I think a curing or aging process that the actual leaf has to go through once it's wrapped up. Is, is that correct?
3: Yes, Um. so just to start, um, I mean, I'm giving some tech here. You can try it all you want. It's it's hard. So um I
0: I encourage I encourage anyone to go I'm for it and see if you can pull it ask off. I've only asked because I've I've been like, yeah, I'm gonna do this. And I try, I'm not like dad nah, am not gonna do this.
3: Yeah, no, it's it's hard, man. Just, you gotta just, have the
0: it's just one of those things like I want I wanna know how they
2: make vodka, but I'm not fucking making it. <laughs> exactly.
3: <laughs> <laughs> so um so all the leaves, obviously single source, uh, I go through and, and get the, like the freshest leaves. So like leaves at the end of your, your run, like if you're gonna go pick like fall leaves that are all purple and look pretty, those leaves are really tough, dude. Like they have big veins in them and they're kind of waxy cause your plant's almost dead. So um, I generally like to get leaves from my mother plants or my plants that are pre-vegging getting ready to go into my next indoor run cause they're nice and supple and like really clean and good cause it's all new growth. Um, Then I'll take the individual leaves, wash them and, uh, you know, kind of cut them to size, rough size, but here's where my old school t-shirt press comes in from back in the day when, uh, when I was pressing rosin for, I had a good press, I use that to, to try to get a lot of the moisture out of the leaves. So I'm not really like pressing the shit out of them. I'm just using the weight of the press in between two pieces of parchment to, to flatten it out. So it almost makes it more like paper. It gets rid of all the veins in the leaves and it, 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 uh, kind of pushes some of the moisture out
0: interesting and then once you've got the moisture pushed out you're you're wrapping um you know the the leaf but that that kandigar is not ready to smoke immediately right
3: no it's not i mean you can smoke them when they're green so there's kind of a a sweet spot in there after it's wrapped with the leaves like I, i let them age for about a week or so so if you put them in the um the tubes when they're too green i've had a mold or condensate because that means there's too much moisture so there's kind of a sweet spot when the leaves are dry enough to package them and when they're too wet to smoke and if you let it go too long you know when the leaves dry they're going to get like a dark green and sometimes brown so you want them to be really fresh you want them to be almost green but not too green
0: interesting you almost, need, you almost need
2: a humidor
3: yeah yeah well Well, the heat in a humidor, like I recommend, you keep these in the fridge, so there is a small amount of moisture in them. The rosin, well, the rosin and the hash, and even the leaves, still have a little bit of moisture. So, the humidor, the constant like high humidity and warmth, it's not the best for them. But I'd say, I'd say, keep
0: it in the fridge until you're ready to smoke it. Interesting, interesting. Bud Smith, if you had, you know, one, and I'm sure, you know, maybe you have a lot more, but if you had one experience that you know, it was one of your most memorable experiences consuming cannabis, whether it was, you know, on a beach in some foreign land or, 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 you know, with, with a girl on top of a mountain. Was, was there one experience that, that kind of stands out in your head?
3: Well, you just want one, you want like an old school story from when I was like a, I think five, a young little, a young little kid, or you want like an older story? Like I got, I got a bunch of them, dude. So, um, well, why don't I go with like, Okay. Well, I got a couple for you. There's not, I won't get too crazy, but this I'll just go from when I was, you know, a young kid, just starting out. Um, My buddy's dad had a, an old DeLorean in his backyard in the side yard and we weren't supposed to be smoking. His dad was really strict shit like that. So his, his DeLorean that he was fixing up, it didn't run, had the wing doors. Super cool. I'm a back to the future uh guy all the way. So it's really cool for me to sit in a DeLorean and hot box, but we were maybe, you know, freshmen in high school. And, uh, he had the cover over the car and we'd sneak out there and we'd hotbox box it and stuff and his dad would come home and i'd run out over the fence and he'd have to you know come out of there and pretend like he wasn't high and explain to his dad what's going on and all that sort of shit. So <laughs> that's that's kind of, that's that's kind of a funny story from when i was a kid you know what it's i mean hot I hot and Dad. yeah it. back to the future so yeah all the puns and innuendos and everything happened with the car and all that sort of stuff so that's um cool. but yeah that's that's just a, sh- a short funny one from when i was younger um let's see
0: well how about this he, when i was on my honeymoon yeah oh, yeah go ahead what were you gonna say well i mean like you know like was there like uh a cultivar and experience that that was like mesmerizing for you where it was like you know kind of like made you stop in your tracks and realize like your affinity to whatever you were smoking or consuming at that time like there's been a couple times in my life where it's like kind of stopped me in my tracks as far as you know lock and key and just feeling like yo this is this is This is it for me.
3: Yeah. I mean, back then there wasn't really cultivars. It was just like, you got weed from your guy. Yeah, but it was good or it wasn't. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, that locked like that, those sort of experiences locked in to me that that, I knew that that's what I wanted to do. That was my lifestyle. Like I'm, I'm a stoner or a lifelong weed head or whatever you want to call it, dude. Like I'm not a recreational smoker. Like this is not like a hobby. This is a lifestyle for, for people like me. Yeah, yeah, straight up. So, like, even back then, I knew that it that was going to be my calling. I don't know if I was, you know, destined to be a grower, but like, I knew f- from those times that like I'm always going to be connected to this plant in one way or another.
0: Absolutely. You were talking about a time with, with your wife on your honeymoon.
3: Yeah. So we took a a, a a cruise when we went on our honeymoon. So we went all around the Mediterranean. Uh, you know, Rome, Italy. Istanbul a bunch of different places around there um so we were in our, our our stop was in Istanbul Turkey and we were going to see the Grand Bazaar and I go everywhere with weed so I you know I wasn't thinking about it but I'm walking around like all these mosques and these crazy like religious places and I I was just smoking freely people were looking at me like I was insane like I'm walking around with a hash pipe and smoking joints and I got a jar of weed in my backpack and we're going on these tours and riding these buses and shit and later like someone's like dude do you know the laws in turkey for getting caught with weed i was like nah dude i just roll around and smoke you know what i mean they're like fuck bro you could be doing so much time in prison for what you're doing right now and i was just i i, I didn't even know man i was totally oblivious to the fact i was smoking like i was back home in norkel so
0: yeah was, no. off with his yeah, head yeah i'm i'm <laughs> yeah yeah. So, no, no, but no, yeah. No. So,
3: so on top of this, you know, smuggling into a different country and consuming and all that sort of shit, it, it like, it but at the time I was just having fun, man, I'm on vacation.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely.
1: That's a, uh, that's, that's, that's a crazy that's, story. That's
0: awesome. That's a crazy story. <laughs> I would know I, I <laughs> to have just been rolling through those places, smoking about and super special. See those, you know, that, that energy there. That's really cool. That's super cool, man. There, yeah, it was a pretty neat times. So I, I,
3: I smoked a joint in the in the Roman Colosseum, dude. <laughs> that <makes
1: sense. laughs> that's
3: back, crazy. back in, yeah, back in one of these little caves that had bars on it where they used to keep the slaves, like that were getting ready to go out and and fight. Like you could go back in there, Oh <laughs> I sick. ducked back in there and burned one. Yo, that is
0: very cool, bro. I appreciate that story.
2: You no, know, you're worse than the kids it's that are true. vaping in the fucking bathrooms these days,
0: man. <laughs> <laughs> that is really cool.
1: Have you ever been to any other countries where cannabis is legalized?
3: I uh, spent quite a bit of time in Barcelona. That place is legit. It's not, I don't know if it was legalized at the time, but man, they had, you know, I, I brought back some old school skunk seeds and, you know, they have a, a great, uh, cannabis culture there in Barcelona. That's really the only place I've been that had a, a culture that was even somewhat close to what we have here.
1: Were you just visiting like vacation style or were you doing any like weed competitions or events or stuff like that?
3: No, man, I'm not, I haven't really done many weed events. People
0: don't invite me to those. I think that might start changing. That might have to change. Yeah. <laughs> get, get, get out there and, and, and get out. So, you know, it. well, let me ask, you know, is that something that you're interested in as far as, you know. Would you would you be open to uh competing in events if approached? I mean,
3: yeah, certain ones. I've I haven't really been a fan of like the the open open events like the Emerald Cup and things like that, because it's just I don't know. I don't know about the integrity of all of that all the time. But sure. um shout out third shout out shout out third gen Ego Clash. He invited me to enter my flower last year. So I feel like that's probably one of the last true, like real OG competitions with like a vibe for the for the farmers and the actual hash makers. Um, he puts it on for real for the culture. So, shout out to him for sure. You uh, you
0: shared a really funny story that 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 we enjoyed yesterday about you know third gen inspiring you um, to 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 be a better hash maker essentially, and, and I wondered if you'd be open to share it, you know with our listeners because I, I really enjoyed it.
3: Yeah, sure. I mean, it's kind of a funny story. I I'm not really good friends with Brandon. Actually, we don't really know each other. We've talked a couple of times. Um, I wouldn't say that he's really someone I influenced. Like, I wouldn't say really anyone is has influenced my style or like I've looked up to them as like a mentor or anything. But um, when I, so yeah, when I first started uh, making any sort of good hash rosin, I was in the clubs, um, the local clubs, you know, down in the Santa Rosa, NorCal area. I thought, oh, shit, maybe I'll make a a Instagram page and I'll start showing off some of my product and pretty much the very first post I made uh, trying to show off my product. I was so proud of first guy in the comments is fucking third gen. And he's just talking all this shit about how dark my Rodden is and how it's trash. And like, I don't remember the exact wording, but I do know that he fucking roasted me. So from that point on, I was like, All right, I guess there's another level to this hash shit that I'm not completely aware of because I'm just some noob on the internet. You know what I mean? Like not making the best rosin, obviously. So I researched him a little bit and he's making the the good shit for back then and still making the good shit. So like that interaction, although we don't know each other, um, him talking so much shit, like I kind of identify with that sort of, I don't know, that sort of vibe because I'm the same way. So it, it spurred me to be like, all right, dude, fucking if, if that's what's up, if my shit sucks, let's, let's step it up. Let's, let's fucking, let's do this. So that kind of like gave me the motivation to be like, all right, there's different, definitely different levels to this shit. And I don't want to be at the level I'm at right now. I want to be at the level where the big cats are. So that's, I mean,
0: yeah, that, that's the story pretty much. I think, you know, I think we've all as makers had that moment where we whip out, you know, our jar, our, our, our jar of flowers or our jar of rosin and show somebody that we really care about um, and, and don't get the reaction that we wanted. And, and, you know, we can take it in many ways, uh, but, you know, the, the, the right way to take it is, you know, to, to go back to the drawing board and, and see what you can do better. And so I think that that's, that's a really cool story. And I, I appreciate you sharing that. Um, I wanted to know. You had you, no problem, man. Absolutely. I wanted to know, like being a, a single source guy and, and, and taking pride in that, you know, are you open to collaborations with other like-minded individuals in in the markets that you're in? Or or do you always kind of want to be in your own lane doing your own thing?
3: Collaborations as far as working with breeders and growing their genetics or collaborations well, like, with say, like,
0: another hash, hash maker or yeah, like something like uh, you know, providing you material to to either uh e- extract or or do a collaboration on on the canagar's, like whatever, you know, those kind of things. Is that stuff you're open to? Um,
3: my brand, Budsmith, is, is strictly single source. I'm not interested as as Budsmith washing anyone else's laundry, doing any of their cleanup, none of that sort of shit. That just doesn't do it for me. But I do occasionally take on you know, a, a harvest for a friend or someone I know if the material's proper, I will process that for them, but it doesn't come out under my label. Um, that could go back to, you know, what people are charging for processing. I generally charge a flat rate, um, a lot cheaper than most people probably would because like I said, I'm coming from a blue collar background. I know much, how, I know how much I can make a day doing construction. Um, I can charge you more than that to make your hash and it's a lot easier doing that. So, um, yeah, as far as collaborations and that sort of stuff, I, Bud Smith's a single source brand and that's, that's how I'm going to keep it. Uh,
0: yeah, that's, that's it. That's there, man. I, that's respect. I know a lot of guys like that, uh, you know, close friends who, you know, my sticker doesn't go on it unless I grow it and I, I process it and I press it. And you know, I've got a lot of respect for that. But I think you're, co- you exactly. you're consumers. And I'm
3: working, I'm working with, with other, uh, you know, people who are breeding and different growers and stuff to help them develop their strains and they'll give me some stuff and I'll test wash it to see yep. what it's it out. So when they're trying to sell their seed packs, they can be like, Hey, this has been certified or not certified, but whatever, you know, it's been known right. to yep. wash at X yep. amount of percentage. Yep. You know what I mean? And I'm not putting any of that out on my Instagram or I'm not packaging any of that. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that goes out on behind the scenes that that I'm not talking about that I'm doing. But as far as Bud Smith, that's that's single source, fresh press or death all the
0: way. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. So, I mean, in this coming year, are there any projects that you're working on or form factors that, that would be new, um, that you're excited about, or is it going to continue to be canagars and, and fresh press? I mean, I, I know what it, that press is going to continue, but it, is it more can yeah, the
3: fresh, fresh press is definitely continue. Uh, I mean, the canagars is not a new thing for me. I've been doing the canagars for three or four years now. Oh, cool. Um, I, gen- that, I, I generally know. only put them, put
0: them out about once a year though. So. And have you noticed the increase in in interest in those categories as the years have gone on? Or not particularly, man. There's, small, there's yeah, you produce such yeah, a small. I small mean, thing.
3: yeah, I make such a small amount that it's they they sell and 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 that's it. So it's and it's like a certain demographic. There's not it's not for everybody because they burn so long and get a lot of birthdays and bachelor parties and you know stuff like that. The people that want them,
0: absolutely. absolutely
2: so smokers wanting to experiment.
0: Yeah, yeah, we've <laughs> seen, a, seen a, an uptick in infused in, in cannogars for um in the Canadian legacy market for sure. So I think that you know we'll slowly see that transition over to the legal space. Probably infused joints, not really cannogar. Yeah, infused joints. Sorry, not cannogars. You're totally right. Um, That's yeah, they can't be because they they're kind of shitty.
3: Yeah, yeah, they, they call them like hash holes or infused joints right. down here. They'll do a few grams of weed
0: and some you know something in the middle of it. Yeah. I wanted to uh, to get your advice on new ha- for new hash bakers who are you know following you know maybe starting out their own brand in the traditional market and and starting to experiment and hone their skills. You know what what advice do you have for for those individuals?
3: Oh, let's see. Um, well, I'm going to go with some not tech advice, I guess. So I'd say hard work, but more importantly have some integrity, man. Like, stay true to your word. If you're going to take someone's crop and wash it, don't shortchange them, like give them back what they're supposed to get. Don't just take the 90 you out and, you know, give them back something else or stay true to your word, man. If you're going to show up on a day, show up on that day and pick up that product. And if you say you're going to finish on a day and you're going to deliver that, that's the day you need to finish. Like have some integrity and stand by your word. I think more than anything that that's more respectful than, than, you know, jerking people around and, and putting out a good product and taking your time and, and just, I don't know, giving people to run around, like just have integrity, man, be a stand-up person, no matter what you're doing. And I think that's, that'll get you really far. People will respect that in the long run and you'll end up getting more people coming to you for, you know, toll washing or buying your rosin or your hash or whatever it is, man.
2: Jameson said this before I, I'm Jameson, I'm just going to jump in because I, because I'm, I'm not going to let you say the same, but like. He said, you know, can be made like with a handshake and like over like a conversation and that deal in, you know, for him and I, and, and I guess everybody here at this table is like, that's binding, right? Like that's your word is your word. That's all you really have. So like, it doesn't need to be very complicated in how you do things. So honesty and integrity is, is really, uh, I think a big thing and in, in all forms of, uh, A business and yeah i mean
3: not 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 just the hash world man i mean you can carry that over to your whole life that's kind of how i live like you know everyone does things that they aren't you know really proud of or whatnot but man if you can own up to the shit that you do be truthful with people you know be a stand-up person and stand by your word and do what you say you're going to do all all across the board whether it's hash or not like you're just going to be successful so that's kind of my advice for any new hash makers getting into it don't get into the hype and whatever's happening like just treat people with respect and give them what they deserve when you're trying to work for them
0: i i i couldn't agree more man i uh i i honestly want to thank you so much for taking the time to come on and, and bear with us through your, those technical difficulties this morning and we we're so stoked that we can make this show happen and and you know i just really appreciate you taking the time
3: yeah, for sure. Can I talk about one more thing before
0: we go out? Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Yo,
2: plug, plug, whatever you want. We want shameless plugs. Yeah. We want to know where you are, where we could find you, <laughs> where we can support you.
0: Yeah, for sure. So, well,
3: let's start with the plugs and then we'll talk about the next thing I wanted to talk yeah. about. So, um, as you mentioned earlier in the podcast, I have been doing kind of guest spots at birds hash class, um, talking about mostly my whole plant cured process and how you can, you know, actually cure your flower and still come up with a good product. Um, so he's doing another one of those classes sometime in june he doesn't have the date set yet so that's that's happening for him so look out for that but he and i are are partnering up um for a class this april april 23rd and 24th it's going to be in Hopland, california um it's going to be i'll be teaching the class and he'll be kind of hosting a little bit and it's going to directly tie into his hash class and all his hash making techniques but i'm going to be teaching the the aspects of growing from You know, popping seeds, cutting clones, doing all your IPM, your medium selection, pest control, just all the way to growing for resin. How you can do that as opposed to growing for flower. Um, People are going to walk away with a you know couple plants and a pack of exclusive seeds that I've been working on, um, things like that. So I'm just trying to educate people on how you can actually manipulate the plant and grow for resin as opposed to flower. Because a lot of people are just growing weed and they're just hoping it turns out good. But there's things you can do to actually, you know, kind of, you know, teach that plant to grow better resin than if you just let it go. So, yeah, you know, we got that coming up. And very cool. You know, at, yeah. So that's what's happening with me and Mendo Budsmith at Mendo Budsmith on IG. That's, that's pretty much the only thing I'm rocking. Oh. Well,
0: well, so yeah, that's, what
3: was the other famous plug? I, I wanted to talk about, um, single source and the actual definition of single source. Let's, yeah, um, let's go. I may, be, I may be splitting hairs here or whatever people want to think. Cause like, you wouldn't believe the amount of pushback and hate that I get about my definition of single source and what it means to me and what other people think it means. Sure. So I'm going to give you my definition of single source and what I think it means to me. So. In order to be truly single source, the the person that grows it has to wash it. You have to be a part of the grow process from start to finish. You have to take care of that resin. So a true single source hasher to me is also a really good resin farmer. He takes care of the plant. He loves the plant. He knows what that plant's doing from start to finish. He knows how to treat it when it hits the wash whether he's using a machine or a hand wash, but most single source guys I know are hand wash guys. So that should tell you something. And so he's going to love that resin all the way to the end. He's going to put it in a jar. He's going to label that jar. And that jar is going to be a representation of who he is all the way from start to finish. When you open that jar, that's, that's, that's him or her or whoever's making that hash, you know? So that's how I see single source. Like getting all your material from one other grower and washing it, like you may have got it from a single source, but you are not a single source hash maker. And I know I'm splitting hairs here, but it's a whole different world to grow the plant and make the resin than it is to have someone else's material and wash it. It's nothing the same. The connection you have to that plant and the way you're doing it is, I think that you've earned the title of a single source farmer and hash maker at that point. And for someone to, to lessen that by saying, oh, like I'm just a company and I buy all my paper from one, from one specific spot. So I'm a single source company when that's yeah. not the case, you didn't make that paper. You bought that paper from someone, even though it all came from one place, that's not your paper. So when I give you a jar of my hash, that's my resin. I grew that resin. I selected that plant. I did that specifically for the purpose that I'm doing it for. So mm-hmm. that's, that's kind of where I'm at with the, with the and single source. That
1: definitions. I- I got say the definition. I'm with you. That's my definition too.
0: But you know, unfortunately, being so, so pure, you're gonna get taken advantage of the same way. You know, people can throw two cannabinoids into MCT oil and label it broad spectrum. Um, you know, the the I, I I think that just terms in this industry um, really get <laughs> taken advantage of. You know, absolutely agree with what there's
3: there's other people that are kind of on the cusp i mean i don't know if rackham's is still in the comments there but his wife grows all the flour you know he has some input on it and you know he's not actually there doing it because she's the mastermind behind the growing and he washes it yeah that's i mean that's pretty much single source that's really close and then you have bird um you know he's washing his father-in-law's material but he doesn't have much input on how it's grown but it's quality material so i mean that's on the cusp of being Single source, but I don't think like truly, truly single source. And there's some there's some guys out there that are doing it that you know, yeah. I you know, kind of know each other, but it's uh, I think that you you need to have a connection with that resin from.
0: Yeah, i
2: do you not know, do you know Mikey Two Shoes, Toe Shoes, MTS Farm?
3: I do not. I, I do not. No, I oh, I actually was talking with him the other day. Yeah, I don't know him, but I mean, there's people on ig say, people like you sure. guys
2: that that are true single source and like are literally like grinding it out like you know, he, I, who did we, before we knew him, it was like, if you to want to talk to somebody that does from start to finish, like phenol hunting and, you know, absolutely everything, you know, that's the guy. And like, exactly when you do it, you got the passion. Go ahead, James.
0: I mean, there's, there's an interesting, there's an interesting uh, conversation here as far as when you lose the thread, because, you know, I remember listening to an interview um, about Oleo, um extracts and and they've basically got an an in-house team where there's one grower there's there's a a rosin presser and there's a a washer and these guys are talking to each other every day and that material is staying inside the four walls of that facility and so you know where do you fall there Bud smith
3: yeah i mean that's what i said in the beginning like i know i'm splitting hairs here Um, i mean technically like i'm i'm not I'm not talking shit on anyone that has a team that's making it happen. I know that I know that me working by myself is not the process that everyone is going to go through. I know this, you know, you're going to have teams or, you know, two or three guys that are all on the same page. And if you're a team of guys and you're at the same facility and the hash maker is given the grower input on how he wants it to, to come out and it's all done under the same roof. I mean, I feel like that does fall under single source, not as I define it, but like, It's still, you know, it's still cared for by a certain person. So I guess you don't necessarily have to be the grower who washes it, but you know, I mean, I think that it's very important that the hash maker has input, but for me personally, I don't, I don't feel like if you didn't grow it, you know, if you didn't grow it and wash it then you're not truly single source and once again, splitting hairs and everyone's going to have a different definition of it. And I'm sure my DMS are full of fucking middle finger emojis and fucking sad faces and people puking about shit telling me i'm selfish but it's, you wouldn't believe how many people tell me i'm selfish it's, for that definition it's
2: not even it's not even though like a definition of quality it's just like basically where it comes from you know no, what i mean and, like, and i'm, like, I'm not saying that like because like, it. <laughs> like you could have you single source, and source and that isn't then yeah that's exactly
3: exactly yeah so i'm not saying that single source is any way an indication of quality at all i'm saying that it's a technique and a style you can have single source that's trash and you can have other stuff that's not even close to single source that's fire. I'm not saying it denotes quality or a grade of your hash. It's just a title that I feel should be respected because people who are doing it, whether they, it turns out good or not, they're putting a lot of love and a lot of effort into that specific you know, task right there. So I think that deserves a title of I'm a single source hash maker as opposed to someone who's not. And I think it should be respected a little more, at least for the amount of work and passion
0: that people are putting into it that's fair. I agree with that, man. Well, I, I, I can't say enough how much I appreciate your time. I definitely, we we had a, uh, we had a show on, um, pigment that, uh, went really well. And, and I know a lot of the guests feel like we want to do another, an, another round and we'd love to have you join in on that conversation. Cause I think you bring a really unique aspect with working with, uh, with, with aged, uh, aged glands. Like I, I, I think that that experience with the resin brings a really unique uh perspective so we'd love to have you join that panel um next
3: yeah time. i'd be down um i've actually got some food for thought there on the pigment uh uh Let, let's hear it i i it
0: was actually some night i i,
3: no, I just i just want to throw, throw something out there so if we do have a conversation about it that other people that are interested in this it's kind of a uh super techie sort of question or observation on my part, but I think that it could further maybe what pigment is or why it's, why it's happening in some cases. So, um, we were talking about before with, with birds tech and looking at the, the trichomes and whatnot. So when the stock of your trichome is attached to your head, when it breaks apart, that's called the abscission point. So when that breaks apart, you're going to have a wound in your trichome. In the trichome wall, whether it's fresh frozen or cured, but it's more susceptible in fresh frozen. So my question, I don't have a theory on this. This is just thought when that head breaks off at the, at the abscission point, there's an open wound in the trichome, are terps leaking out? Is water and pigment coming into that trichome before that wound heals over? You know, that, that sheen you see on top of your wash water, I believe that's the, the, the terps that have leaked out of that abscission so i think pigment plays a big issue if you're over paddling your material and you have chlorophyll in your water i believe that it can suck up into that abscission before it closes and it's going to make your hash green i think we've really touched on that actually
0: during the show have you okay that's yeah. all right cool yeah no i definitely would love to have you on because i think you know you've got a really interesting perspective from from you know, where you stand on a lot of things and your experience with with the material and the resin that you, you've you cultivated. So I think your perspective would be super valued and, and would love to have you on again. Sounds good, man. Just let me know. Awesome. Well, again, thank you so much, Mike Smith. We appreciate your time. And, and uh, we very much that. appreciate yeah.
3: it. Yeah, it's stoked to be on yeah the- I appreciate you guys. and Sorry it's to everyone that's listening about the about the issues in the beginning. I don't know if that was my fault, but I'm going to blame it on these guys. Uh, yeah, it's
0: all on us absolutely <laughs> well, thank you so much brother. we we'll, we'll, we look forward to having you on to get soon it's been a fair time i yep.
3: yep good talking with you guys cheers, cheers. To you guys <laughs>